Hi, Sophia here. Before we jump into the regularly scheduled episode, I wanted to take a second to acknowledge the WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike. The unions are currently standing together to fight for their right to fair working conditions and the longevity of their fields, and this podcast supports them wholeheartedly. As this podcast is intended as film criticism, not promotion, there will still be new episodes. However, I've requested guests select non-struck work where possible. You may be seeing more international and indie films on Moviestruck over the next few months. Cool stuff. This episode was recorded before the new podcast guidelines were released by SAG-AFTRA. I hope that you all will support the strike. I've included a link to the Entertainment Community Fund in the show notes, and I encourage you to donate if you're able so that the writers and actors can support themselves and others affected while the industry is out of work. Thank you for listening, and now for your regularly scheduled nonsense. Rousing later at their crash site, the pilot finds Nausicaa, whose gas mask has fallen off, and he tries to run and get the mask on her, but in every child's greatest nightmare, they start to sink into some quicksand, which... (laughs) We got got some quicksand, quicksand, baby! (laughs) A a threat only found in movies, and I don't really know where else if I'm being... Mythbusters did an episode on it, I think! Yeah, well, isn't it basically just not real i actually don't know about this very much but i'm pretty sure it's i think just it's just not, not nearly as common as childhood quicksand advice would lead you to believe or it's like it's a, it's that it exists but it's usually like this <laughs> deep like a foot and a half deep or something like that Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by the DM of the podcast Rolling with Difficulty, Austin. Austin, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me again. No problem. I do have to ask you the question I ask at the top of every episode, and I have a bit of a follow-up question for this one as well, because uh, you are a repeat guest. You've been on before. Folks may remember you from the Scott Pilgrim and Sky High episodes. Um, and of course, Morbius, if they caught that. And, and Morbius, patron bonus available now. Uh, <laughs> I almost forgot about it. Thank you for reminding me. I'll never me. forget. <laughs> uh, but why did we watch Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind? Uh, that's an excellent question. I'm curious what the follow-up is, but why did we watch Nausicaa? That's a great question. Uh, I was kind of stumped. I feel like the last two times or three times now that we did this. Well, one, one of them was kind of a meme, right? Uh, but the, the other two times we did this, I knew what movie I wanted to do because I feel like I had so much to say about it and uh, things that I thought maybe I was thinking too much. Uh, definitely in terms of Sky High, like I don't think anyone's thinking about that movie ever. So I was so excited <laughs> to talk about that. And Scott Pilgrim is one that I have a lot of affection for, especially with all of its flaws. So I felt like a lot to say there. And especially we did that one test, which is really mm-hmm. fun. Morbius was a meme. This one, I was really stumped because I was stuck between doing like a new movie because I have a lot of movies I want to watch that I haven't seen, doing one that I had seen. It was like if I had done, if I did do one I had seen. Um, and I noticed that I missed Nausicaa playing in theaters a couple weeks ago. And oh, no. I had seen, I'd seen, so my my Miyazaki slash Ghibli or Ghibli journey mm-hmm. started very late in my life. So I've seen nausicaa once and i saw it a like two or three years ago and i fell in love with it uh it's not my favorites of the miyazaki actually that would probably be that definitely is princess mononoke but this one i felt like one i'd missed it i really wanted to see it was on my mind and then i thought that it would be interesting to tackle a movie that i didn't have a lot of complaints about because (laughs) i tend to be kind of a complaining which you know we all love Mm -hmm. to complain about movies but 
it's good and healthy, right? We've all but, seen Morbius, yeah. Exactly. We've all seen Morbius <laughs> and trashed seen it. We've all seen Morbius. But I was like, maybe it would be a fun challenge. And I think a fun exercise, too, to talk about the things that are great when that kind of so often flies mm-hmm. under the radar in the you know, YouTube, TikTok kind of movie review sphere. So yeah. anyway, that's why we chose Nausicaa. I love it. It's got literally everything. It's like, it was like genetically engineered in a lab to please me. I was and... going to say, this is a very... Uh... <laughs> Austin has a biology, ecology kind of background. This movie was like perfectly crafted to appeal to him specifically. I did want to ask because this is a thing that you brought up in past episodes of the show. Uh, didn't pick a Mary Elizabeth Winstead so movie. So I didn't pick a Mary Elizabeth Winstead movie, and I thought about that. Uh, it wasn't didn't make my short list for other movies. But uh, I did think about that because I was like, oh, well, she was in Birds of Prey, which I still haven't seen. Uh, and it's supposed to be very fun. I'm, obviously, I'm a very big superhero person. I'm not of the, like, I gotta catch them all variety anymore, but mm-hmm. I still love them. But I was like, well, I already broke it with Morbius, so let's go to a different... <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> let's go well, to a, a, a different good, a different well. Good pick. Um, I did, just to cover, this is a... Uh, Ghibli is a Japanese studio. The movies come subbed and dubbed. I watched the dubbed version of this, usually for the Ghibli movies. I feel like that's my go-to um, they've kind of gotten enough popularity in the uh, U.S. and other Western countries that I feel like the dubbed cast tend to be pretty star-studded and usually they do a really pretty good are. job. Uh, and also, I was taking notes while I watched it, so I didn't want to have to read and write at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, as you say that, so when I've, I'm, uh, uh, I don't watch a lot of anime at all. When I do, I am almost exclusively a dubbed person because I tend to be of the like distractible i'm distractible so i need to be able to listen right <laughs> uh-huh. uh and this movie i'd seen it dubbed the last time and i decided to go subbed because i thought it would make me really pay attention and before we get into the plot i have to say i don't feel like i missed a lot like it mm-hmm. it feels like with these the few sub v dub that i have seen it sometimes feels like there is a translation like the you know what is written in the sub is sometimes more poetic or sometimes more insightful and i miss and i'm like oh the dub had to like you know chop up this phraseology a little bit to fit obviously that's the change the medium i didn't really feel that like i feel like what i remember from the last movie from the dub and then to the sub basically everything kind of translated so i think if i was going to watch it a third time which i will at some point in my life i would go back i would happily go back to the dub Mm -hmm. um and there's actually a couple but there's like two instances where I find it's actually a kind of an interesting change, one for the worse, one for the better. But we'll get to those we'll when get we come into to it. them. When we get to those characters. Yeah. We're gonna start opening on some wind whistling over a wasteland as a bunch of gas masked riders approach a fungal overgrown forest. They ride into a similarly overgrown town, busting into one of the seemingly abandoned houses where all remnants of the family and riches they may have once had are overgrown and declare that yet another village is dead. Buzzards gather overhead as they set off bug, buzzards, bugzards. Uh, and- <laughs> I'll give you points for that one. <laughs> thank you. Buzzards, not bad. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and they set off worried about the toxic jungle and we get our title credits over which we see images of yield tales of destruction which i thought was very cool they did in like a tapestry style and also some big robot blob people More yeah on that later. yeah i mean yeah it's so interesting first off have to give a shout out to people riding big ass birds uh <laughs> fucking love it i very can't chocobo get over from final fantasy for all my childhood nerds out there <laughs> best 
best steed. Well, the best steed is a tauntaun, but after that, giant, giant <laughs> ostrich motherfucker. Uh, absolutely love it. Yeah. So I have to give that. And it's good. I mean, this movie is smart. And like I said, I feel like it's going to be, it might be annoying to just praise everything, but there are so many smart decisions. And I really like opening with um, Yuba and like the st- how bad things are. They're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, before we even meet any main characters, we need you to know people Shit. people be dying. Yeah. 1,000 years falling. have passed since the collapse of industrial society and a toxic jungle is spreading and threatens the last of humanity. Okay, now the story can begin. Yes, exactly. It's good prologue. Yeah. Um, we see someone gliding on a glider over a green fungal forest coming to a land in the sand outside. Uh, they set off into the forest and we see that it is a girl. Uh, I will give you all one guess based on the title as to the name of this character. <laughs> it's Nausicaa. Uh, we see her inside the fungi forest, which is as alive and vibrant as any like lush jungle you might expect to see today, uh, which is a visual choice I absolutely adore because it kind of keys you in really early on to like, oh, this is just like a true expression of nature more so yeah. than it is this evil thing it doesn't look like a ominous forest necessarily it just looks verdant <laughs> yeah it's not it's not a haunted forest it's definitely alien mm-hmm. right i mean there's okay, so many design things uh from her outfit. first off her outfit looks awesome i love yeah. the blue i love the like <laughs> shotgun shells which yeah. they all kind of have the three but it just helps break it's like utilitarian it kind of breaks up the outfit it's great uh and i love, I love her, her silhouette her, yeah the oversized <laughs> boots with like then the kind of like skin tight trouser thing that she wears mm-hmm. the little skirt that goes into a tunic it's both like it evokes fantasy while also being clearly not fantastical like more mm-hmm. futuristic it looks great and as you said yeah this jungle being alien but and, and dangerous but beautiful yeah. is i think a very fine line to walk probably because you could have gone like haunted spooky forest mm-hmm. i love a good haunted spooky mushroom listen to rolling with difficulty <laughs> uh but yeah they didn't so good yeah uh nausicaa spun- spots a certain fungi and gathers a little sample in one of her little chest bandolier vials which i just absolutely adore uh and she continues on until she spots some fresh ohm tracks uh, she follows the tracks until she spots the shed shell of the ohm, which is this massive, like, mite-like insect-looking thing. Like, almost like trilobite-esque, I guess would be the yeah, thing I would compare it to. There's a lot of inspiration drawn from a lot of different things, extinct animals and present-day animals. I think I always think of isopods or roly-polies mm, uh, yeah. when I see it. But yeah, there's like, there's a thousand things. Tri- I haven't even considered trilobite, actually. That's, yeah, I'm always that's a great... about trilobites. I'm always thinking about trilobites. There's <laughs> one creature, the thing that attacks them in the sky, this very like flat thing uh, that attacks um, Nausicaa and Asbel. Asbel. Is it Asbel? Again, I watch I watched the uh the sub, so some of the name pronunciations uh did not like stick in my mind super well. Uh so Asbel attacks them and I was like, oh, it's an Anopolacaris, which is <laughs> a very specific, but And yeah, this is why this movie is pandering to Austin. It really is. Nausicaa is immediately marveling at how intact and perfect this Shell is marveling at the sound that it makes when she hits it and getting excited about all the possible uses for the material the shell is made out of. Going to take one of the like caps around where the eyes used to be, which is this like perfect glass dome of sorts. Uh, it 
takes a lot of effort for her to break it off. She's got to use some like a little bit of TNT almost uh, just yeah, to really demonstrate how solid this thing it's, is. Yeah, it's so smart and cool. I also want to point out the knife. They talk about their their mm-hmm. um uh they're not crystal. They're um what do they say? Ceramic. They're ceramic blades, which to me evokes very much Dune with the Chris knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love, I mean, I actually think I was reading a little bit about this before. Someone compared this as like, this is anime's answer to Dune. I was like, <laughs> you know what? This, that's yeah. prop in terms yeah. of like density of philosophy and from what you can get from a two hour cartoon, that's probably accurate. <laughs> Not once in this movie did anyone say the words desert power at me. So already it is rocketing above Dune in terms of how <laughs> oh, much you like Dune. I love Dune. I was actually just thinking I thought about Dune was fine. <laughs> This I is a oh, different well, the movie. movie. Sorry, yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's I. I give it. It's a. It's a four out of five. I think. It's good. Anyway, <laughs> well, there's a whole movie shark episode. Five, though, Go listen so. to that one. Uh, no, this. She's a uh, as she's kind of like holding the eye socket of this ohm. Uh, spores start to kind of drift down from the Mushigo palms, and she sits under the eye to watch under this like little snow globe almost effect as the spores s- snow down. She kind of marvels at how something so beautiful would kill her in minutes if she did not have her gas mask on. She lounges on the ohm for a while when something catches her attention. It's distant gunshots. She rushes to the aid of whoever is shooting, dropping her ohm eye momentarily as she climbs to the top of the forest where she can see an alive, very, very large ohm in pursuit of someone. She fires a signal flare and lures the person running and the ohm nearer to her, then returns to her glider and observes from the sky, spotting the guy fleeing on one of the running bird mounts from earlier. They're gonna get their time in the sun in this one. Gonna, oh my goodness, they are so gonna get their time. We love them. They, mm-hmm. I, watch a, I can watch a whole movie about these guys. <laughs> Just do <laughs> giant birds. Uh, Big Ostrich fan. Yeah, it's and it's, this is, this is the point where it's like, this movie is so ponderous. Like they didn't have to include the scene of, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful, but it could kill me. But they smartly do and I mean, I think that's just a, it's just a difference in, uh, and again, I'm not an anime expert, as I said, I'm coming at this more from other angles, but Mm -hmm. from my understanding, this, it's the taking time to be ponderous when you, which you never would in a, uh, an animated movie released in America is so appreciated and it, it's queuing up so many things, but also just giving vibes the whole time. You have to really love it. And I, I, mm. I know it's not a unique thing. It just seems unique to me because of the media that I consume. But to me, it stands mm-hmm. up so much and I love it. I think it's a really good way of setting up like who Nostrica as is, is as a character as well. Because like we'll see throughout the movie that she is the one who is in tune with nature in whatever form that it's going to take. And has a bit more of a... I don't want to say philosophical approach to like the world that she lives in than some of the other characters that we'll encounter, but like more of like a holistic view. And I think that this scene is a good idea of setting up why she might have that because other than it, there's not a lot to indicate early on, like why any human in this world would be seeking to coexist with the plants necessarily when they could kill you in five minutes without your mask or with all these bugs chasing you down. Um, Holistic is a really good way of thinking about it. A really good word for it, actually, I should say. Uh, that's actually just from just from an ecology standpoint it's obviously it's it's a very um modern day notion the idea of the natural world and the human world mm-hmm. and a thing that i think is becoming and maybe this seems obvious to to some of our listeners if it does congratulations you, you're growing up in a more interesting time uh 
or you know you, you're very wise but uh the notion that that's that's a very false dichotomy and humans have been inter- uh changing our landscape from long before we even had you know writing or anything like that mm-hmm. the so-called natural world that we kind of imagine this like everything's covered in forest is a world that didn't really <laughs> ever exist we've been managing our ecosystems since we existed uh the same way that all species in some way manage their ecosystems but uh yeah so i like that she kind of she sees through that she has this mm-hmm. very modern to, to for us modern day perspective on yeah. on the relationship a thousand years in the future I think a thousand years in the future modern. she's figured something well as we see a thousand years in the future not that much has changed <laughs> people have clearly <laughs> forgotten a lot and not learned some lessons mm-hmm. uh but right now her and bird guy are trying to outrun the ohm over the sands this massive like building-sized insect with glowing red rage-filled eyes at the moment she tries to talk to the own to tell it to go on, get out of here, and leave him alone, uh, and then calms it by using a bunch of flashbangs, uh, which stun it momentarily, causing its eyes to go from red to blue, indicating that the evil robot has become the good robot. The- I did think about that. <laughs> We've talked about that before with like the blue, the like kind blue to evil red, the yeah. very specific shades. Um, but she uses an insect charm, which is kind of like a like almost like a bird call whistle or something, but it's like a yo-yo on a rope that she swings around to wake the ohm up and send it back into the jungle. And the man who is uh, Patrick Stewart in the dub, but is later revealed to be Lord Yuba, uh, is in all of her ability to guide the ohm away with nothing but an insect charm and flash grenades. Um, And that's, this is the first of the dub versus sub that I find really interesting because uh, I, I, I'm actually kind of bad, I think, at interpreting how good an acting performance is, just kind of generally. I think, like, mm-hmm. the middle 70% of acting performances, those are all the same to me. And then there's, like, the, you know, a little bit that are really good and a little bit that are really bad. But in terms of choices for casting, to me, the in the sub, it's just he has a very strong, commanding voice from... And, you know, again, it's being acted in a different language, so I'm sure I'm missing some some subtleties there but he's just a very strong commanding voice and he sounds kind of like what you would assume this old badass hardened character is like and i can help but compare that to patrick stewart who sounds so like tired and wise like mm-hmm. he's been through it and he's gandalf right you're like yeah. oh yeah this guy has well, seen something ian mckellen's gandalf oh patrick i'm sorry stewart, patrick stewart is, is is i'm thinking professor x yeah forgive me they're both <laughs> in the x-men movies oh I man mean, they're both kind of icons in their own way <laughs> I'm going to get killed. Both oh my goodness. Both have surprisingly turned up in animated projects covered on this podcast before. So, I mean, it's fair, fair enough. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, apologies. But, you know, he's, he's Picard. He's, uh, and I got to off and know things about him. He's Picard. He's <laughs> Professor X. He's, he's this character who's, you hear his voice and you're like, yeah, this is a guy who's strong because he's been through things. But he has a wisdom and a temperament mm-hmm. befitting that that I find, an almost, you know, a, a, a tiredness. He he can handle things, but he maybe doesn't want to anymore. I find that choice, that, that casting choice, be very smart and interesting, as opposed to the sub where it's like, yeah, this guy is totally, totally doing a void. Like, that guy, that is a strong guy that we're listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it adds something to the character. I mean, like, with any dub, you have to really think about who you're casting, both from a, are, are they, like, able to do the appropriate range for this character, and also, like, are they going to bring anything to the role by virtue of who they are? And I think you have to think about that a lot when you're casting, like, not that voice actors aren't celebrities, but, like, in 
any other kind of celebrity casting, right? Which is very popular these days. But of a course, lot of, yeah. Like, Thank Ghibli you, Robin Williams and Disney yeah, for, exactly. for all that. Um, yeah, the Ghibli movies are always these star-studded casts. It's so interesting. Yeah, uh, and I think this is one of the instances where it works particularly well. Um, but they ride off into the sunset together, go take a break in the desert, uh, and reunite under a bunch of spiked wind towers. She recognizes him fondly as Lord Yupa, and they hug. Uh, they haven't seen each other in a year, as he's been off wandering, and he introduces her to his fox squirrel, who is angry. Yeah, the fox squirrel. Very, very avatar. Just yeah. two animals, right? It's a fox squirrel. Yeah. Uh, fox squirrel, not happy, and it initially bites her finger, and her calm reaction and demeanor eventually chills out the fox squirrel, and now she has an animal companion. <laughs> now she does. She's taking her first level in Ranger. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, this mo- this scene, I love this shit when a movie either, they, they usually either do it very early on or very late. They will either, they'll be this beautiful thesis, just this one little moment that encapsulates everything about that this movie is trying to say. Or they'll do this at the end where they'll like walk you up to it and they haven't said it and they haven't said it. And at the end they say it and you're like, that is what this movie's about. <laughs> that is everything. I love when they do that. I don't mm-hmm. think that you need to be subtle in, in filmmaking. I know, I know writers use subtext and they're all cowards. Uh, I don't think you need to be subtle with this kind of thing. And I fucking love this moment where this beautiful but clearly dangerous piece of nature uh is frightened by the danger that nausicaa poses she tells it you're not scared and it bites her she doesn't flinch it draws blood and then after it has moved its pain you know its fear and anxiety bequeathed it to her through physical pain she it calms down she accepts its burden and then lets it go and that is that this whole movie is about other taking other people's pain like fear accepting it as pain and then letting it go and the notion that it's our that's our responsibility and i I think i mean we'll talk about this probably at the end with themes and stuff but i think that's a very wise thing and i love when a movie comes out and says something that maybe isn't isn't something that would be said in a lot of other movies maybe isn't said in any other movies this and this this very self selfless notion that is i feel like either you get a lot of martyrdom in movies Mm -hmm. where it's like you need to you know you need to give everything or you get the notion of you need to take care of yourself uh and i really like this notion it's like no it's your it's your duty as a person to bear the pain of others to the extent that you can that and then let it go and i really like that this is a great movie and that scene is you could watch that scene you've seen the whole movie but there's a lot more beautiful stuff that's coming up (laughs) (laughs) uh yes next up lord yupa asks after her family and she sadly reveals that her father king jill making nausicaa a princess can't fly anymore of course um the jungle's poisons are taking their toll just more kind of reinforcing that this world is toxic to the people living in it um she wants to show him her secret room in the Valley of Winds and asks him to carry back her ohm eye as it doesn't fit on the glider super well. And they both set off for her home valley. And we see this lush green, more like traditionally forested area with fresh running water. Um, 
just like beautiful and verdant and kind of pristine little it made me think of the land before time when they find the valley that all the dinosaurs live in for the next like eight movies (laughs) that's funny it made me think of actually this scene and now we get to why i actually was thinking of gandalf is this scene reminds me of gandalf returning to the shire in the fellowship of the ring where it's like this really wise dude shows up and everyone loves him. Like the children run Everyone's to him. Excited. This is a, all the villagers this is are a, rushing over. Exactly. This is a dangerous man, but these are kind people. And so he's not dangerous to them. He is wise to them. Uh, so they love him. They revere him and his wisdom. They ask him to name a baby. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> so like they all rush to him. They love him. And it's this pastoral Edenic existence where, and you kind of get this notion. It's like, why does Nausicaa get to be in a sense kind of, of, of superior moral fiber to the rest of the world. Well, part of it is that she's had really good mentors. You see a great microcosm of it later where Yupa does something to, you know, info- to teach her, remind her of a thing she already knows. Mm-hmm. But uh, also she comes from this beautiful, easy life where she has, you know, the, the wind keeps the spores out of the valley. So they, compared to everywhere else, like we saw where, you know, other towns are being overtaken and the anxiety that the other nations are feeling about the 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 toxic jungle or whatever it's called she gets to not have that and so she kind of has this like moral head start on everyone else where she, <laughs> uh she's had it easy and thus can accept more of burden mm-hmm. uh mito one of the villagers is worried for her despite this and uh explains that he's just uh, concerned that their princess is exploring the dangerous toxic jungle uh but this kind of concern is brushed off she's a strong one as it were they go to the castle where Lord Yupa and King Jill catch up, King Jill being the bedridden father of Nausicaa. Lord Yupa tells him that the jungle has claimed more settlements and others are in chaos, disorganiz- disorganization, etc., etc. The rest of the world is not at peace in the way that the valley is. Um, which, as you mentioned, is thanks to the wind from the nearby acid lake that pushes the spores back out of the valley, keeping it from overtaking their home. King Jill asked Lord Yupa to settle down in the valley, but the old woman stirring the pot in the room, oh Baba, laps the idea off as Lord Yupa is destined to continue a search. That is not a euphemism. She's literally just sitting there stirring a pot of something or other. She's not really like you. I think you can kind of see her in like one of the wide shots, but it isn't really until they cut to her that you're like, oh, someone else is like here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Obaba. I think she's doing so much and so little all at once in this movie, and it's excellent. Um, she explains to Nausicaa that Lord Yupa is searching for the figure in the tapestry said to appear after 1,000 years to guide the people to peace and safety, a man in blue who will appear surrounded by golden fields. No one in the room seems to notice that Nausicaa is dressed all in blue, I guess. I immediately well, to me, the viewer, I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> Because she, that's, you know, spoilers, you're listening to the podcast, so get over it. She's where she changes to red, and then actually didn't even notice that this is what exactly had happened, but the blood from the ohm changes her outfit blue, right? Uh, uh, so she goes from, she changes into a different color, and then she's wearing blue for the end. It's like, interesting that she's wearing blue the whole time, though, yeah. because <laughs> you'd be like, oh, she's wearing blue, that's going to be that. And then you're like, oh, she changed it to red? I guess she's not the prophet? Obviously not, but... Uh, it's just it's just a funny thing to have her change into a different color when she's already in that color. Yeah. And then another thing is like just start with her a different color. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's still basically a perfect movie, but mm-hmm. it is a 
and i mean it's obviously the assumption too like where they literally drawn a man in that position uh-huh. is is great I mean, we're, we're getting classic miyazaki here in terms of like you know you know strong People female protagonist who is living who is, in harmony with nature and the strong female protagonist is out being the most at harmonied with the most nature <laughs> so for real for real and she yeah oh getting getting to be you know as wise as she is but not preachy and as strong as she is but also fallible in some ways uh it's yeah it's mm-hmm. it's refreshing you really you spend so much movie with her she needs to be enjoyable all the way through and she is i do love i do love a superman that's like basically incorruptible right and yeah you know they're, they're basically always going to do the right thing you never question it and then they do it and you're like hell yeah they did the right thing <laughs> so i i enjoy that about her in this movie mm-hmm uh, Yupa insists that his only real goal is the secrets of the toxic jungle, so he's not going to be going on any great quests for any heroes anytime soon. Uh, that night, Nausicaa frets about ways to help Lord Yupa and her people when the winds pick up uh, and Mido comes to knock on her door. Something has been detected in the winds of the gathering storm. She rushes out where Gol, one of the other villagers, tells her that there is indeed a storm brewing, but this time something is not right. And watching the sky, she spots a light flashing in and out from behind clouds. It's an airship. Hey, airships are in this movie. That's also rad. Great classic. We got skyships. We. <laughs> it really is the proto like prototype. Like everything he loves. If you're, I don't. This is not the first movie he directed, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But it's one of his earlier ones. He wrote the manga it's based on. It really is like, if you were to write your first great work, and you're like, I gotta put everything I care about into this. <laughs> Uh, but also it was good, which is probably yeah, pretty which, rare. Which Although, is the impressive actually, part. I just I was just reading an interview with him about the, the manga. He's like, yes, I published the manga. And that's when I discovered that I'm no good at making manga. And then the, the cap, like parentheses after it, they're like, he's being modest here. <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> it creates one of the greatest animated movies of all time based off this manga. And he's like, yeah, I'm just really no good at it. That's the problem. I uh, gotta stay humble. Uh <laughs> Lord Lupa joins them as the airship begins its descent. It is this massive hulking piece of metal, and it's flying close and low to the village, and they identify it as a Tolmechian ship. Nausicaa notices that they're definitely in trouble and launches uh, her glider to go over to them so that they can make an emergency landing with her guidance, and she flies up. The front of the ship is covered in grubs, angered from uh, presumably the ship making a crash landing of sorts in the jungle, and Nausicaa shouts at them to turn their ship before they hit the rocks, but her calls are too late and too drowned out by the storm, and the ship hits the cliffs and explodes. In the fiery wreckage, Nausicaa searches for Survivor and finds one, a girl who is a little chained up that she had previously made eye contact with while trying to guide the plane. Nausicaa pulls her from the wreckage, and as she comes to lightly, she introduces herself as Lestelle of the Pajit people. I apologize if any of my pronunciations are off on this. We're going to just be children through. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know either. Like I said, <laughs> listening to the sub, I was like, all these names might as well be nothing. It's like, have you ever read a fantasy book and there's like a, a name that has like, you know, eight letters or more? And you're like, ah, oh, yes, A. <laughs> on the D&D podcast that we play in, also named the character Karun Detrasi. And I just feel like it's unfair of us to critique the quality of the names in this movie without bringing that fact up also. <laughs> You know what? It's there's a you know that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, Listelle begs Nausicaa to burn the cargo that the ship had, and with that, she 
dies, Nausicaa's best efforts are in vain. The villagers begin to put out the fire and encounter a large, enraged insect. Unsure of what to do, Nausicaa arrives and using her bug uh, singer, I immediately forgot what it was called after. <laughs> I forgot as well, yes. The, bug the, call the, the, thing. Um, yeah. Tells it to fly home. And when I say tells it to, anytime I discuss Nausicaa telling a bug to do something, she's saying it out loud, uh, which is fun. Um, she throws her call and it flies up in the air and she glides after it, guiding the bug back to the toxic jungle. As she goes in the distance, she spots a massive ohm and uh, just sort of share knowing eye contact before they both head in opposite directions. <laughs> this is a thing that movies love to do, is to have big animals share knowing eye contact with another person. We just covered the 2003 King Kong on this podcast, and that movie is like 90% knowing eye contact per capita, so I'm <laughs> glad that this movie had like maybe... Own, it was sparing and intentional with its uses of knowing eye contact between Bug and Tosca. <laughs> you know, a little goes a long way in terms of that, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. we've already established Nausicaa so well, this just goes on yeah. uh, to, to do even more and uh I, I mean this is all a good sequence about her saving the bug and also saving the person who dies and reassuring her but it's really the next sequence it's like this is like where everything gets really good yeah um we see some other airships flying through the sky they look like big like bomber planes almost and messages are flashed between them as they fall into formation in the valley of the wind the villagers are searching the crops for spores as the ship was infected when it crashed and anytime they find one they burn it immediately to present the valley prevent the valley from being overtaken by these fungal spores in the wreckage there's some sort of big pod uh lord yupa is there looking it over with mito and they notice that the pod is beating it's alive that is an interesting choice by the way because at this point over the credits we've seen the the big robots so like you Mm -hmm. know we had a little uh a little bit of a primer for them and they are clearly engines of war Mm -hmm. created right it's not subtle about that. It's a you know, piece of Japanese media. And we'll get to that when we see the thing actually <laughs> in the end. But, you know, this is, uh, it's not subtle what's going on with this. But it is interesting that they're like, it's also growing. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I, I don't know if I understand the, the decision to make it that way. Other than they need it to be like a ticking clock where it's getting bigger and getting ready. And if they were just like booting it up, that probably wouldn't be... <laughs> the case but i do find it interesting to have it being ostensibly alive (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think it's an interesting contrast to have this like ostensibly alive thing that is going to spoiler alert be in opposition to the natural world at it's this created thing that is itself not natural but is very much alive I don't necessarily think I also maybe don't get the exact intended meaning of that, but I do think it's an interesting like counterpoint to the very much like naturally forming dangers that they face every day. Because there's kind of like two possible ways for one of these civilizations to be completely destroyed and it's overrun by ohms in the toxic forest or like destroyed by these robots. Um and they're both equally destructive and basically impossible to stop, but they are themselves not... One is natural, one is not. It's it's just an interesting, like, contrast. But again, I don't know if I necessarily get the exact yes, point being I'm, made. I mean, I'd love to, I, I can't wait to watch this movie more and more times over the course of my <laughs> life and notice more things. Because I certainly noticed more things this time, especially about 
war mm-hmm. and the power politics of it. And probably because it's a thing I've thought about the very first time I watched this, all the ecology stuff really rang true to me. But as we start to see the like human motivation come into play, I feel like there it's very it's very wise, even though it's very simple, it's very illuminating. And uh, yeah, so but I hope to, you know, learn more things as I watch it again in the future. And that hopefully that's one of them. Yeah. Lord Yupa believes that this is a monster from the old warrior from the seven days of fire. And we cut back to one of those little images of all those monster robot big guys walking over a flaming background. It was believed that they had all turned to stone after this cataclysmic apocalyptic event. And apparently that was saved for this one that was found asleep under Pajit. Why was it on a Tolmekian ship? Well, they're a very warlike group of people, Lord Yupa explains, and he's very concerned about what they could have been doing with this thing and the uh, Pajites and etc. etc. Um, Nausicaa is helping to bury the deceased passengers when she hears rumbling and rushes to watch. It's the bomber-looking airships flying low to the valley. The Tolmekians have arrived. They're dressed in armor, which we learn is like a kind of like a chitinous material i think they describe it as but it looks very like classic medieval nighty yeah i mean that's again the cool um i don't even know i mean it's, it's obviously it's almost like ecology punk like this post i don't think that's probably the right way of saying it i'm, I'm using punk wrong people overuse mm-hmm. punk to describing <laughs> these things but there's there's very it's it's both man-made but there's also a clear influence mm-hmm. in the natural world so yeah i love these dudes who are knights this is a fantasy movie ostensibly uh knights but also they've got like beetle imagery and stuff on them and you have to wonder like they hate those things so that must be like a fear tactic kind of thing right it's there's interesting choices there i love that they also just fully have a tank which lets you know that this is like the future (laughs) they do have a tank they, they do be having tanks they in bust through the valley they rain in destruction they get into the castle they're going to kill the king no nausicaa rushes to her father who when she arrives has been mortally wounded has been shot and is being stood over by a bunch of the tolmekian warriors and she viciously starts to fight them all off very successfully until yupa intervenes yeah and this is so i'm curious in uh, in the sub they're explicit that she killed mm-hmm. all of those dudes I don't know if that's if they say that in the dub or not. She but... has a very big... Uh, I don't know if they necessarily say like, oh my god, they're dead until the very end, but she does have a little bit of a, oh, I don't want to kill anymore, no more killing, which I think if even if yes. she's not saying I killed them, so it's she... very implicit that like they're dead because she murdered them. She does say that more times where she's like, I don't mm-hmm. want to kill anymore, but this, like, uh, I don't even remember his name. Slimy yeah, McSlime the one, Boy. The only uh, character whose tongue, name basically. I did not get while watching it, and then I, no one said it again until think... like, the very end of the movie. <laughs> I love this character. We'll we'll talk actually we'll talk about that when he comes up and starts doing like weird mm-hmm. like um uh slimy things. But for now he makes a comment he's like, Wow, she killed them all. But yeah, this moment where Yupa stops her and it's the perfect mirror of her meeting uh Tito, right? For the Fox Girls yes. Tito. Tedo. 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 Tito. Tedo. There you go. Not the vodka. No, uh, not, so not the tequila. Tedo. Oh my god. Tito. Vodka? Whatever. It's not important. <laughs> uh teto uh mirroring this moment with teto and reminds her like she breaks her you know one of her big rules here she goes into a rage uh out of anger and then he takes the blade in his arm and witnessing the damage she has caused immediately you know sets her on the right path for the rest of the movie but another great moment of you kind of get where she learned it from this like 
taking in pain so that the other person can realize the harm mm-hmm. they've done and let it go. And uh, I love that because, and this will come up again later, but they say like he's the best swordsman. You're like, yeah, this dude could kill a room full of people almost certainly. But it's that it's Patrick, Patrick Stewartness Stewart. of it where you're like, he's kind of learned that that's like part of being the greatest swordsman is learning not to use his sword, <laughs> except uh, in like, you know, at the very few moments he has oh, to. Yeah. Very Sorry, interesting. I got my own and Tenno, yes. who is currently trying you to get your own Tenno, I see. work her way through. You gotta move, cat. <laughs> Just looking around the room. Yo. Ziggy, <laughs> this is not the time. I know you are part of the uncontrollable natural world, but like, we're trying to record a podcast, man. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I think you're spot on. It's another, it's like the one, I think it's the most obvious moment of Nausicaa, like, I don't want to say failing, but failing for the, like, moral paragon of a character that she is. Um, and it, yes. it's important that it's in there. I was surprised at how early on it was and that it wasn't, like, quite as repeated later, but... I think it works. Almost certainly in a more traditional Western animated movie, there would be the crisis where she fails mm-hmm. later on and then and then resolves, right? And she has now learned her lesson and can go on into the third act to save the day. In this case, though, I, I kind of like that it's yeah. so early on because it's going to inform so many of her decisions throughout. And you, you get why even after all the other bad things that happen, mm-hmm. like why is she able to, spoiler, uh, Christ allegory sacrifice herself because she's already been through the hardest thing. She's come out on the other side and nothing's going to be worse than that. Uh, She's already lost her father and she already flew into rage and she already saw the folly of that. And so she's able to do all these other things because she has gone through that fire already. Uh, Lord Yupa also condescends the... Uh, Kalmekians for their warlike attack on the people of the valley that had taken the time to help their airship and bury their dead after he cautions Nausicaa to be calm and he warns her like you need to play your cards right here because if you don't people of the valley will be massacred by these Tolmechians. The <laughs> it's, so it's so good. I love a moment that's like this sucks but you only have one. I know you want to make this other choice but it's mm-hmm. not a choice. This This moment of like I know everything that's no one could ask you to behave this way, given everything that's just happened. But we're going to have to ask yeah. you to. This is also where we meet um, Slimy McSlimy Pants. The t- <laughs> Slimy McSlimy Pants. Oh, I, I love up. this dude. His name is Kurotoa. Um, he's like the second in command of the Tolmechians. And he is like every like apathetic yet mildly ambitious, kind of careless. Yeah. Like, like, he has ambition, but only if it falls into his lap. <laughs> it's it's kind of like great. Like, he would love to be the most important person, but only if it's very yeah, he doesn't want to do him. any work. Uh, he just looks like a smarmy nobleman. <laughs> like, he looks like the it's antagonist so good. in a fantasy romance. <laughs> he, do- he really is. And you know what? We'll talk about it now because I'm thinking about it. There's something so great about him that we'll see as he appears, which is... All the things we just said already, but a lot of times when you have this like sniveling second in command would love to take over Starscream character, there's two things about them, which is one, they're waiting for the first opportunity to stab their leader Mm -hmm. in the back. And two, they are cowards. Like they, they're not brave in any way. They're, they're cowards. That's why they're the second in command because they can be easily uh, controlled by fear 
and the leader is uh, you know confident that they can always bully them uh and he's not either of those things like he's excited when she's gone he's like oh i guess i'm getting a promotion uh and then she shows back up and he's like all right well i was in charge but i'm not gonna turn like he could have turned the men against her or something or been like you've been turned by the end like done something snivelly to like backstab her and so she shows up and he's like ah well that was fun while it lasted i guess and also he's not a coward like later on a lot of people are running away he's like come on like we're gonna we're gonna die for our country ostensibly (laughs) and i like that it's like a fun fresh take on this character that we kind of all know but he's not worm tongue you know he's not just gonna like uh you know like hunch over and scramble away in humiliation <laughs> the first chance he gets he's like no i'll die it would have been nice to be charged obviously but i'll die i guess I might as well i'm already here <laughs> might as well i'm already here yeah i do yeah. Like, like how laid back he is about it he goes to shoot nausicaa but a woman dressed all in gold and white robes orders him to stand down she addresses lord yupa explaining that they are all here to talk and not mass- massacre the people of the valley so Everyone stands down, though the Tolmechians raise their flag and secure the castle and take all the guns from the villagers, so talk is a strong word. Nausicaa comes out to uh, offer some relief to the villagers gathered outside of the castle, uh, and the noble-looking man, uh, whose name I just said and then immediately forgot, Kurotoa, uh, comes out and demands their attention for the woman in gold, who we learn is Kushana, the leader of the Tolmechian army. She says that they've come in peace, that they want to unify the kingdoms around Tolmechia and burn the jungle back using her great tool that she has uh, so humans will never again live in fear of the insects or the toxic jungle. Um, could not... That's so such a villain speech, right? <laughs> it's such a good villain speech and it hallmarks to... This is like one of the first, and we're going to get to another big mm-hmm. one later, but one of the first great things about war where it's like these people have very base in reasons for doing this but they're also committing such atrocities that they can't help but rationalize the things they've Mm -hmm. done uh i think i always think back to and there's probably better real world examples but if you want like the whole thing condensed down think back to avatar season three zuko speaking to ozai where he's like when we were young we were taught the war was our way of sharing our greatness with the world and that was a lie. And like this moment here where she kind of knows she's bullshit. I think she knows mm-hmm. she's bullshitting, but it can kind of be left up to the the audience perhaps where she says to them, we're here to make you part of the empire. Right. Congrats. The winning side has shown up. You could, uh, what, what, what does, uh, um, K2SO show up, say when in, uh, was like, congrats or, or like you're being rescued. Don't resist yeah. or something like that. Where they're like, she's like, you're being saved. Don't resist uh because that's what they want to believe they're doing but they can't ex- there's they give them the choice which is when when there's only one option there's actually no mm-hmm. options right which is <laughs> surrender to us or we're actually going to murder all of you it's like such a beautiful lie and such a good uh, example of you know people buying into the propaganda to do horrible things but also the leadership like how i don't know Maybe other people do, but I don't know how much does she buy it when she's like, you guys are going to be part of our empire. Congrats. Mm -hmm. Is she just justifying or is she just saying what she needs to say to put like that veneer of uh, civility on the whole thing? Because if she was like, we're here to conquer you, you are all subjects of us now. They would be like, 
fuck that human spear. We're going to kill everyone. But if you say, congrats, we're here to bring you into you know, the new modern age. We're here, we're here to save you all from this horrible threat you don't even know about. That's It's that veneer of, well, uh, they did kill our king, but maybe. Better than all you know, being murdered. It's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, 30 seconds and they do so much. It's so And cool. also, in case you forgot that she was in this movie, Obaba's going to take this opportunity to interject. <laughs> Obaba's going to show up. I love this Obama old Obaba do be interjecting. <laughs> she do be out here just town crying. <laughs> uh, she demands that they not touch the jungle since its origin 1,000 years ago. Many people have tried to burn it, but all that did was enrage the Ohm, who stampeded across the land, toppled cities, and killed thousands and fought until they died of starvation and the land became part of the jungle. She gets some talk back from uh, Slimy McSlimy Pants and then outs these invaders as having killed their bedridden king, which enrages the villagers. How could anyone be so cruel and so pointless? Uh, they're ordered to be silenced and Nausicaa gets all the villagers' attention and begs for them to be a little more chill so that no one else dies and to just do as the Tolmechians say. Uh, and with this and some sobs from her people, she turns and re-enters the castle. Uh, she's still got immense sway. She's so beloved by her people that, like, even though it is something that they do not want to do, she is able to relatively calm the masses, which is also important to establish for her character. Yeah. She's, like, their hope condensed. And, yeah. And an interesting note, too, because... Uh, I. I don't remember if it's explicit. I kind of get the vibe that Slimy McSlimy Pants wants to kill yeah. her. <laughs> and is like, can we just shoot Obaba and then also yeah. this princess? Like, kind of see more trouble than they're worth. But uh, Kushana, like, wisely knows. It's like, well, no, no, no. If we kill her, they will all attack <laughs> us. Like, we don't. That That is mm-hmm. a guarantee. She's much more useful alive. It's It would be a poor tactical choice to kill her. And in fact, it's why they take mm-hmm. her as a hostage, right? Um, but yeah, I do love this moment of, you know, no, you, no one could ask anything, uh, anything more of her, but she's got to do it anyway. Uh, no, no one could ask her to be forgiving of these people who just murdered her father, but she's got to think of everyone else. Uh, the villagers help the Tolmechians pull the sleeping giant pod through their valley. And I, I, it's not a very like highlighted detail or anything, but I do like how much just like it just, if they're going through crop fields, like they're destroying some of the, um, very hard cultivated work that they're doing here. Uh, Kushana wants to keep the valley to herself, coming to enjoy its verdant nature. So uh, those slimy McSlimy pants reminds her of their mission, transport the warrior to Tolmechia. Uh, she just points out that it's impossible to do that anyway, because even with their largest ships, they couldn't carry it. And besides, she doesn't want to give the monster to all the fools back home. So she's not even the biggest bad of the bad. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's so, yeah, like she has her own aspirations. Mm -hmm. She is not just uh, a cog in this machine. She buys into the propaganda simultaneously being like, but I know like the Mm -hmm. real truth. I figured it out. Also, what a good, she's a villain. She she, like wants to own nature, right? This is a commodity. She shows up here and she's like, oh, this is this thing to own. To them, it's been this Edenic paradise that provides for them. They're very thankful for the winds and for all these crops and stuff. And she has them destroy a bunch of it. And then is like, yeah, what a nice thing for me to yeah, own. Exactly. So good. Uh, Kushana goes to report to Pajit, and she's like, we gotta, you, okay, smart man, you gotta stay behind and awaken the warrior. Um, they also, as they're walking by, in the most offhand manner that any character has ever made an offhand comment, they're like, whoa, this valley has a gunship. That's funky. <laughs> Just keep on walking. By. I know. It's kind of funny. You know, I didn't even notice this in the first one, but apparently the gunship is. 
<laughs> it's kind of like them because they these other guys have tanks, mm-hmm. right? But apparently the gunship is special enough that they're like, oh, we gotta worry about this gunship. It's you know that's yeah. dangerous, which is basically like a small fighter plane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just one, it's just one, but it's interesting, I guess, like the notion of air power because these other guys all have planes, mm-hmm. but I guess the one fo- I don't know. It's it's interesting because we the, I, d- I guess they do all get. Uh, their shit kicked in by one lone fighter <laughs> in about 20 minutes but so i guess it's reasonable yeah. for them to fear it but it's an interesting note to be like man this one fighter is so important it's like yeah they do deal. sort of operate on like stormtrooper clone trooper rules of like well the more of us there are the easier we're gonna go down so one ship is actually just like oh that's gonna be one really good ship yeah yeah um kushana's gonna take the princess and five hostages with her uh, towing them behind their ships in a barge, which is just like a gliding plane, basically. And they're also going to take the gunship with them for good me- measure. Loading up the ship, Mito is going as one of the hostages in order to better guard Princess Nausicaa. And Lord Yupa is discussing with him how he's going to stay behind to try and ensure that they don't awaken the warrior by leaving the valley and then slipping back in to kind of watch and wait for his chance. Lord Yupa goes to visit Nausicaa, but her room in the castle is empty, save for Tito, the fox squirrel who is scritching and scratching at a wall and opening that point, he finds a secret passage and Tito leads Yupa to through these like secret passages in the castle down into Nausicaa's secret room, which is this little like laboratory greenhouse full of fungi and spores. And she's sleeping in there without a mask. Oh my God. He's extremely worried for her, but she explains that they're not poisonous, that she's in fact grown these spores herself with samples taken from the toxic forest she irrigated the chamber and pulled the soil from deep underground from the wells they used to get their water in the castle. And she explains that none of the plants have become toxic as a result, which means that the pollution and the toxicity is not in the plants themselves, but it is in the like soil and water near the surface. And it is the entire earth itself that has been polluted. It is, yeah, it's... It... The only danger to ourselves is the danger mm-hmm. we present. Uh, the only danger is that, you know, the things we put in the ground, which are now harming us, the plants are just doing their best to make everything better. It's it's, it's a very, very on the nose, obviously, <laughs> but a very poignant and wise mm-hmm. metaphor, I think. And I really love it because it's still, the, the, the war is, it's the same thing where it's like it, the, these oncoming war that's that the Valley of the Wind is about to be caught in the crossfire of, is caught in the crossfire of, right? They've already been invaded, had their, their ruler killed. Uh, this upcoming war is also just done by the hands of people completely unnecessarily. Violence is always a reaction of fear mm-hmm. and it's always unnecessary. And uh, yeah, it's the only pain that we, that we endure is the one that we bring <laughs> to the table. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, she also explains that she was hoping to find a cure for her father's illness, but now that that's all for naught as he's died, she's cut off the water and is shutting down this little secret room. And she cries and laments that her rage drove her to kill and that she doesn't want to kill any longer. So we see that sort of rejection of the previous actions, the regret from what she's done uh, here most explicitly. The next morning, Nausicaa built, boards the airship with the gift of Chico nuts from the kids. She assures them that she'll be back soon. Clearly, she has the love of her people, and the ship sets off. Elsewhere, a small red ship scans the skies. Inside, a man spots the Tolmecian ships flying below. Ooh, I wonder what could happen. The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The... 
more yeah. violence. The Valley Folks remark the formation of the planes is so close together is strange, as though the Tolmechians fear an attack. And uh, just as they say that, Nausicaa notices a gunship approaching them, and it begins to fire on the Tolmechians, quickly taking out their ships one Nausicaa by one. Nausicaa really is queen <laughs> looking of into the distance and seeing in this movie. a thing. She's got that. She's got that 30 passive perception. Like, how many times is something happening? And she's like, there it is. Like, before anyone else. There's it's one so time good. it happened where I absolutely lost my shit. Because it was, like, one of the most perfect shots ever animated. And also just, like, I can't believe no one else on this ship noticed it. But we'll get to that when we get to it. But, yeah. Anytime she's in the sky, Nausicaa's going to look somewhere and be like, there's some stuff over there. <laughs> there's some stuff over there. There it is. <laughs> Where? I, so the good. thing that would get me is sometimes they would do that. And I'd be like, there wasn't even like a sound effect. Like, how did, like, how does she know? I don't even know what's weird. Why is she like, something's weird. I can't hear anything. <laughs> she's the chosen one. I guess. She's just that good. I guess. Uh, it's a Pajit gunship. And it just took out three of their planes, like in a row. And detach the <laughs> yeah this dude really bugs we, we got a we got a real uh, yeah. oscar isaac come one this lone fighter uh, one light fighter coming in fights <laughs> as they are like there's not really a lot of extended no. combat in this because it's kind of it the, the point is kind of the combat is short and brutal and horrible and ugly yeah. you know there's not there's not really a lot of glory to the fights. Uh, they detach the barge carrying all of the other prisoners and they glide down below the gunship completely ignored um, firing on them. It just detached them incidentally. The ship Nausicaa is in is hit and she climbs to the roof and spreads her arms wide and demands that the killing stop. And at first the gunship continues to fire, just missing her. But as the pilot flashes to another girl yelling to stop, he ceases his attack and flies away. Um, Mito and the princess jump into the gunship in the hold of the big uh, Temekian ship that they're carrying in and uh, get it up and running. And Nausicaa, at the last minute, decides to take Yushana as well with her or take Kushana with her as well, which is a whole uh, choice that she makes and shows mercy to her captor what and whatnot. And they successfully escape the burning ship on the gunship and go beneath the toxic clouds to rescue the cargo barge. The music here was so funky. The little, like, synth hits. This comes up a couple times. It's very, very... I mean, I, so I'm kind of bad with music, too. But to my mind, it's very yeah. 80s. Where, like, there's always... This music will come out of nowhere. And it's, like, the last thing you would expect. It's not oh. typical in any way. And it's just, like, beautiful and funky. And it's there for, like, two minutes. And then it's gone. Don't don't worry about it. It's not coming back. And they do that a couple times where, like, these weird, funky things play. And uh, it's it's engrossing, and there might be a better way to do it. If there is, I certainly don't know it. Again, not a music guy, but like again, it's there might be better, but it's engrossing every time it happened. I couldn't like. It was always just sort of like a pleasant surprise that it was back. I'm like, oh my god, they brought out my favorite funky song again. (laughs) It's happening. Exactly. They spot the barge as it keeps gliding, and the men inside are disturbed. Uh, they're all trying to yell back and forth and it's not going anywhere. So Nausicaa takes off her mask just for a moment to yell at them to follow them into the toxic forest as they glide. And this solution, coupled with the desire to not see their princess inhale too much poison, leads them to fall in line and start the gliding descent. And the two ships make a water landing, skimming across the watery forest floor. They all check in and Kushana immediately holds all of them at gunpoint because she still wants to have the power and control in any given situation. Mm-hmm. Um, which incredible 
Nausicaa calmly tells her that she doesn't understand the jungle, and if she fires the gun, the insects will swarm them in seconds, showing that one of them is in tune with and one of them is at odds with their current situation. Yeah, someone who just can't not be holding the gun in the literal and phys- uh, sorry, in the literal and the like metaphorical mm-hmm. sense of the word. Like she has to be the one in charge, even if it doesn't freaking matter. Yeah. Like they just need to get out of this jungle alive. But it's even as they're a, you know a classic thing with all of the bad guys in this movie is bringing on their own destruction because violence just it turns back on the person committing mm-hmm. it. And it's like yeah, you fire that gun, you'll die. But she can't help. She needs to be power. And that's kind of the the whole military thing when we get to learning about the war between Pajit and Tomekia. Uh, the whole notion is just a just a fear game. That's mm-hmm. all it is. There's no good reason. Not there's ever a good reason for war. But it's all just a fear. It's all just based on fear and, and pride. And then this moment she like can't not be the one in charge. Look at her armor, you know? She's the most proud person in this movie. She's wearing like fucking gold and white and shit like that. Exactly. Um, she's enraged that Nausicaa is the one giving orders since Kushana demands that she still be the one in charge. And she fires the gun once as Nausicaa tries to calm her, not hitting anyone, but just like ricocheting off of the plane. Uh, and Nausicaa tries to calm her by telling her that she just wants to go back to, wants her to go back to her own country. But this only further enrages Kushana. And before the end of this particular encounter, waves start to kick up around them, and they see rising around them the ohms, which can swim, just beneath the waves. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole shit ton of them. Apparently, it's a. I think they yeah. say it's a nest. It's like that's very funny. Yes, they're they are they are swimmers. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. They uh, don't have red eyes yet, so you know it's kind of like a yellow light more than a green light. It's like proceed with caution. Nausicaa keeps everyone calm and addresses the ohms again, talking directly to them telling them that they mean no harm and even lets one cover her in these little tenderly feeler things that are like glowing gold. Uh, Nausicaa just calmly goes with it and begins to kind of crossfade into almost like a looking field of gold wheat or grass and hears a child singing over these golden fields. She sees like a real tree and it crossfades back to the ohm who releases Nausicaa as the singing fades. Very mystical chosen one stuff going on here yeah well it's it's is uh, is the interpretation here the tree is the tree we see later in her flashback and that this is a moment of it like reading her memory almost and or at least in maybe not literally reading her memory but sensing her motivations this tree being a a metaphor mm-hmm. for her her motivations her disposition and being like you're chill like I, I, it's, that's the yeah, reading, right? I think because I actually forgotten about the tree in that moment until you brought it up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that does come up later." Yeah, I think, I think you're pretty spot on there. I do like the idea that like pretty much every time that this will happen a couple times, and every single time it basically comes across like, "Oh yeah, she's chill. She's one of we're good." We're good. She, yeah, we find yeah. it. Um, Nausicaa then knows that the pilot uh, of Pajit is alive, who was firing on them, and the ohms leave now turning red with rage as they head in the other direction. Nausicaa grabs her glider from the freighter and sets off after the bugs, leaving the men with orders to return to the valley in an hour uh, if she's not back. Mito grabs the gun from Kushana, who is shocked and in awe, and takes control of the situation as the bugs um, head off in pursuit, filled with rage, of the pilot. The pilot, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean this whole sequence is upcoming is so good, but I do. First off, we gotta shout out Mito. <laughs> Mito, he's my man. Sleeper hit. I did not think he was going to be as important as he was watching this movie for the first time. <laughs> but I do, I do have to say that um, it is interesting that she doesn't give them like so. They're spoiler. They're gonna go make war. <laughs> And Nausicaa never asks them to do any of that. She's never like, go back and fight. She's always just like, go home. And they make mm-hmm. their own decisions. And their decisions are not cast in the same, nearly the same light as all the other war-making decisions. But it is an interesting note that she is, she never once encourages even justified violence from mm-hmm. now on. The Even the taking back of their homeland. She's literally just, take this woman back, be safe. And the ideal situation is everyone goes yeah. home alive yeah there's i don't want justice to be doled out i want Mm -hmm. peace she's got this almost like loftier goal than anyone who's making Mm -hmm. war can see she sees the bigger picture the same uh the same way that's um Mm -hmm. yuba does uh the bugs are swarming after the pilot who is now fleeing on foot and staring down the cliff of a ravine he's trapped uh to avoid getting jumped on by a bunch of grubs he leaps into the ravine and is almost eaten by a flying insect which austin i believe you identified as being something (laughs) it's it's not any it's not really anything like that but it's vaguely anomalocaris which is (laughs) if you've ever seen like those those classic prehistoric ocean thing it's the the kind of shrimp looking thing that's very very kind of like wide and flat and has a lot of like little fins on the side, and uh, kind of swims in this undulating pattern. It's it's like the it's the first predator. It's the first predator to ever evolve, and it's got these like little pincet like grabber things on its face. Yeah. So it's it's got vibes <laughs> like that. But yeah, like you mentioned before, there's a prehistoricness mm-hmm. to this. Even in the future, it's very oh yeah. So it kind good. of harkens to like life is beginning anew in a way. Like this is a whole new like evolutionary yes. cycle. So stuff is very early even as Yeah, much. forests yeah. of fungus, right? Like fungus has taken over in a new yeah, a new period. D- death to the plants, fungus mm-hmm. is everything. Uh Nausicaa saves him at the last second by swooping it on the glider before the bug eats him. Uh and she tries to she's like, my insect charm and my flash grenade aren't gonna do anything in this one because all of your killing has made them just too dang angry. And so they fancy fly slash crash to relative safety. Rousing later at their crash site, the pilot finds Nausicaa, whose gas mask has fallen off, and he tries to run and get the mask on her, but in every child's greatest nightmare, they start to sink into some quicksand, which <laughs> we got, we got some, some quicksand, baby. <laughs> Uh, a threat only found in movies and I don't really know where else if I'm being Mythbusters did an episode on it <laughs> yeah well isn't it basically just not real I actually don't know about this very much but I'm pretty sure it's I think just it's just not, not nearly as common as childhood quicksand advice would leave you to believe or it's like it's a, it's that it exists but it's usually like this deep <laughs> like a foot and a half deep or something like that um, sorry go on bugs are swarming all over the land as the men from the valley fly above the forest watching this crazy collection of insects and we flash to a golden field, just like in Nausicaa's bug vision earlier, and her father calling to a young child, Nausicaa. She rides on his desert bird with him and her, sees that her mother is also there, as well as a bunch of soldiers in this golden land, as the singing of a child continues. She tells them not to go a certain way and starts to run away and be chased. When they catch up to her, they see that she has a baby ohm with her, and though she tries to defend it, her father and the men take it from her, and the singing continues as she begs them not to kill it. 
uh, and is eventually roused from this sudden vision with uh, Tito licking her face in an underground chamber. Um, I thought that this one was interesting because it seems a little different from when the Ohm was communicating her. Like, it does seem like it's the same event because she does go to the tree in this one, but it felt a lot like don't go into the light death sequence more so than it did communicating an emotion in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 her... It's her rosebud, mm-hmm. right? Like this moment because she witnessed this great violence of this innocent creature that she empathized with and that has, you know, set her on this path of this empathy for all these other ones. And, uh, but yeah, there's definitely, there are explicitly kind of Christian themes here in this movie. We, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole martyrdom thing is, is very much... She, as she, you know, f- later on falls off of her glider, arms spread out <laughs> to take two bullet wounds in order to save a creature. There's definitely a lot of that here, and I'm, I'm interested about that. There's definitely that, yeah, that that golden golden mm-hmm. field definitely invokes a kind of uh, one certain very like very specific image of heaven of pastoral, bright comforting kind of landscape. yeah and even just like the presence of her father who we know recently died and her mother who has not been in the movie so i feel like it's safe to assume has also passed as probably also katie yeah. she is a princess um, so is necessary yeah and then uh the idea of like oh i'm we're they're going somewhere and i want us to go anywhere else it feels like them marching into some beyond and i don't want to go there like that was what i think was keying me in oh that's a good it. note i didn't even think about that the mother because i did notice the mother being here right and uh actually i was watching this with um with mm-hmm. victoria and she pointed out that there are very few as 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 well done as nasi is there's actually very few female characters until later on uh, you have Obaba, mm-hmm. who is a very specific role, this like k- k- village crazy woman, but also elder, you know, a very Moana's grandmother kind of situation going on there. And you, uh, and then you have uh, Kushana, who is mm-hmm. an enemy. But her mother appearing is kind of this like stark, you're like, oh, we haven't really had like, there's been background characters in the village, just plenty of mothers and children, but we haven't had like a named character that's of that Mm-hmm. role there's not like a mother figure in this movie in that sense until this moment and that's uh yeah i, I hadn't even put that together that she appears in this moment the nausea could be <laughs> kicking it <laughs> you know whether like don't go yeah. to the light moment uh so yeah that's you know but this movie is just so densely mm-hmm. densely layered i'm glad they didn't dwell on it more than this but it was sort of i'm like oh what's this she got no, i just kind of moved yeah, past okay. it um that is a lot of this movie there's a lot of sequences yeah. in this movie to get into like the technical like chop it up there's a lot of sequences mm-hmm. happening in this movie and uh yeah that's they don't they don't tend to dwell on things very long and it makes a, a relatively long animated movie not feel too long because usually this you know you're coming in at like a tight kind of 90 mm-hmm. situation here this movie's almost two hours yeah which that's is pretty, bad the compared to Ghibli you know, movies tend to the be bloated messes a bit more like slow and sequence based anyway so i'm not too surprised to see that they from do. this particular movie like oh yeah this is very indicative of the style yeah. of movie that the studio makes um but, but uh, you know, compared to and on that note, compared to some of the other, uh, uh, some of the other Miyazaki slash Ghibli, obviously, you know, it's there's there's a lot of overlap mm-hmm. on that Venn diagram, but it's not one hundred percent. So just to cover all our bases, uh, as ponderous as this movie can be, I feel like it keeps the pacing up a lot better. This and Mononoke are my favorites, f- for a lot of reasons. 
I think that's one of the secondary but important ones, as opposed to like Kiki, which mm-hmm. is a great movie. But I tend to, there are sequences where I'm like, I feel like I've lost momentum here. And I'm kind of like in and out yeah, of interest. Exactly. This one, a lot of sequences. So even though it can be ponderous, it's like, here's a new mm-hmm. thing. Here's a new thing. Here's a new thing. So you get to, you get, there's still a lot of energy yeah. in it. Uh, she awakens in an underground cavern that is blue and pretty with fresh water and these remnants of these fossilized trees all about. So cool. What a so cool, cool location. <laughs> petrified, underground petrified forest. It is, uh, it's, we're putting, we're, come catch rolling with difficulty because I'm putting <laughs> that in there somewhere. That's dope. It's so cool. Underground petrified forest. I um, love it. She hears footsteps approach. It's the pilot. He's found her glider, and he introduces himself as Asbol. And this is when I'm like, that guy sounds familiar. Who is he? And it uh, in the dub is Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Shia the Beef. This is the one I mentioned two dub versus sub uh-huh. voice guessing things. This is the one where I was like, yeah, I don't like Shia LaBeouf <laughs> so much. Uh, I, I, you know, even though it's kind of a neutral casting mm-hmm. choice in terms of the sub because i don't understand the acting really that's happening i was like yeah this is better <laughs> patrick stewart great great choice shia labeouf maybe not so hot choice that is the thing that these movies do love to do is like cause I, I recently watched uh ponyo with my boyfriend and the oh adorable movie uh one of my favorites but like um in ponyo the two leads are the, the children are played by uh miley cyrus's sister and frankie jonas Noah Cyrus and Frankie Jonas. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, I mean, they're playing. Oh, I was going to say, is that the David Henry one? <laughs> no. No, I think that's Ariadne. Uh, Liam Neeson but... is in that one, and he is an excellent. But that's the thing, like, there's one absolutely amazing casting choice in the Liam, ne- Liam Neeson, um, Patrick Stewart of it all, of, like, this older character who is cast incredibly. And then there are just, like, I don't know, who are young actors? Who, who are young actors in Hollywood right now? Give me Shia LaBeouf on the line. Give me Frankie Jonas. Let's put him in here. <laughs> Give me Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who's who's on Disney exactly. Channel? Who can we get? Um, <laughs> Who just started Holes? I actually don't know if the dub for the... Well, I don't know when Holes came out. This this movie comes out in like 2000... The, the dub came out. The dub yeah. comes out in like 2004 or six or like something that. like that. So yeah. Who, who's who's fresh just, out of Holes? Who, who does Disney have on the hook? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who does Disney have yeah. on speed dial that they can tap for this role? Mm-hmm. Who's in Wizards of Waverly Place right now? You know? uh, but he introduces himself as Asbol and thanks him for thanks her for saving him. He explains that they are beneath the toxic jungle and they're able to breathe here without their masks for some reason because the underground air is clean. Nausicaa walks off and listens to a tree with water still flowing through through it and watches as quicksand falls from the ceiling. But this time, it's pretty and sparkly and shatters on impact, and it's like the sand at the bottom of their well in the valley. Asbel finds Nausicaa lying face down in the sand, teary-eyed, and she explains that she's just so happy. They sit together later, and Asbel reveals that Lestelle, the girl who died in the crash, was his twin sister, which I think makes him a prince, but that doesn't really come up at all in this. Um... Yeah, I guess it. Do- you're right. They don't ever call him prince, and we do meet his mother. <laughs> Uh, but she, no. she's not an important role. She, she's not. She's an important role in the movie, but she's like they're, they're not yeah, giving her respect. Like a leadership right? Role. Uh, I mean, she has like an unofficial leadership exactly. role amongst the women and children of their community, but not like she's not the king, the queen. You know. Yeah, she's she's not yeah. given any orders, but that's because the world has fallen to men. I mean, like <laughs> fallen. To- uh, you know, we just. <laughs> well, yeah, like in you know in well. This is a post-apocalyptic, so we're obviously unsure of things, but, like, take a look at in uh, the the Valley of the Wind, 
who who is in charge ostensibly the king who is dying but like who is his uh his advisor it's obaba and who is the active ruler who is talking to the people who the people love and cherish nausicaa it's nausicaa so when i say fallen to i don't mean like it's changed but like there's the sense that something might have not been that much of a problem in Pijit, and then there was war and like who decided to go to war it was Mm -hmm. all the dudes (laughs) <laughs> and they've ruined it and all the women and children are basically locked in a brig like yeah. they don't say that but they're, they're like these these people are not making active decisions it's the it's mm-hmm. the men who are who are making the active decisions there is one notable exception of course it's kushana and what, there's it's really interesting with her what, yeah that comes up later but but yes sorry so yeah is he a uh, prince it's, it's pretty unimportant to the plot of this movie <laughs> don't don't, yeah. don't worry about it <laughs> They apologize to each other and recount where the giant warrior is, and Nausicaa is sharing the Chico nuts the kids had gathered earlier, which apparently are not even a little bit tasty, but at least are very nutritious. I know. That's like a, such a funny little, like, I'm not they sure what it's supposed to, if that's supposed to tell They're us anything. Now. I mean, right. That, th- yeah, this is an important moment for, for making them care about each other. So you're like, why is he going to pull a gun on his people mm-hmm. for her later, right? It's this kind of moment. He's, she saves him, and then he saves her in a way. But the nuts being bad tasting, it's just kind of like a funny bit where I'm like, is this supposed to tell anything about him? Tell us anything about him? No, I think it's just supposed to be cute. <laughs> Sometimes things can just be cute, you know? Sometimes things can just be cute. I mean, I, I tend to think of a f- efficient storytelling as like the best thing. Like, oh, don't include a, a scene that isn't doing at least two to three things. But I don't know. Some, maybe sometimes it's fine. Uh, Asbel repairs Nausicaa's glider and they make camp for the night. And Nausicaa explains that the trees absorb the pollution and then petrify and die and crumble into the purified sand. That the insects in the forest are guarding these areas so that they can do their work. And Asbel is disturbed by this because humanity can't survive long enough with the spread of the toxic jungle on the surface for this process to continue enough to like purify enough of the earth for them to keep living. Nausicaa says that the Pajits are starting to sound just like the Tolmekians with this, which he objects to, but she just sort of, like, goes to sleep. They're not going to wrestle with the philosophical implications of that just yet. Yeah, the people who are so convinced they're different, and yet they are so much Mm -hmm. the same. And I love just the whole notion. There's several things here. One, if they just bothered to look under the surface, (laughs) they'd realize that the forest is actively a good thing and not to destroy the thing that's trying to save them. But of course they can't. They can only see what's directly in front of them that they fear, the insects and and the the fungus, the spore. But uh, also this, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting that they can't, uh, they can't They don't have the whole picture. Oh, also this notion of like, oh, this is going to come up later, which is the notion that he's like, oh, well, that doesn't do us any good. The world will be consumed by toxic forest before it's done being purified. It's like, well, you made your bed. You're going to have to mm-hmm. lie in it. And that people object to that because of this notion that the the unexamined take it for granted. We have a right to exist. And it's like, well, no, if your existence requires this much pain, maybe not. And that's kind of, they, they explicitly say that at the end. Again, one of those moments where it's like, it walks you up to that. And then it says it, you're like, that mm-hmm. is what this movie's about. And also a thing that so few movies are about. I feel like the the inherent quality, uh, the the, in, the inherent, uh, uh, not goodness, but value of humanity is just a theme that a lot of right. movies run with. Human life is worth is worth everything. It's like, in this movie, it's kind of like, well, human life is worth a lot to other humans. But in, this, in the, the grand scheme of the world, if a human life requires this much destruction, then it's actually not mm-hmm. worth it. 
So there's, uh, yeah. In the uh, Valley of the Wind, the castle is in the process of awakening the warrior. Steam abound as it continues to develop. And it develops like very much like, like a fetus in the womb, kind of. Like it's just sort of like beginning to come to. Oh, it's, it's horrifying. Very gross. It's like not quite right yet. It's just very inhuman for all of the beauty we see in the nature. This growing thing is an mm-hmm. abomination. Yeah. You love it. And it's, oh my God, it's so, nothing is terrifying in this movie. Like this, this engine of war being born is. Yupa is watching as he sneaks in and observes as our good friend Slimester is back talking to one of his underlings. And he's like, this is the point where he's like, well, no one else is here to be in charge. So I guess maybe I actually want to be this. Maybe I should be the, the leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All. <laughs> maybe, maybe, seems, seems like I wouldn't really have to lift mm. a finger at all. I, can sure, hurt. why not? <laughs> um, they've heard the reports of the attacks on the airship and believe that Nausicaa and Kushana are dead. Uh, so he says, just keep that between you and me and continue operations as normal because I am getting power hungry. Yupa yes. is taken to the hideout of the villagers, which is this like abandoned ship by the edge of the uh, lake where Mito and the others are ready to report Yupa lets Kushana go on the condition that she drown the warrior in the lake of acid and leave. And she explains somewhat bitterly that the warrior can't be moved until awoken and can't be drowned. It won't kill it. So she attacked Pajit so that they wouldn't have the warrior's power. Now that its existence is known, all the remaining kingdoms will arrive to claim it and it is dooming them by staying in the valley. She believes their only remaining choice is to use the warrior to repel other kingdoms and reveals that she has been maimed by the insects. She's got, like, no hand on her, like, left side under her armor. She's got these, like, robot limbs, basically. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, because she, she makes allusion to the fact that there's more wrong with her. And, in fact, when, she, when we see mm-hmm. she takes her armor off, she keeps both legs and the arm. So there's a question of, like, how extensive it is. But it's very interesting that the one woman who is involved in war has is literally she has lost pieces mm-hmm. of herself. She is herself partially destroyed. And when she explains this, she does it in the context of what it means yeah, to men. Yeah. She says okay, so that was the same between my the husband. Yes, it's exactly. So, and I remember that line for the first time. So this is why I say like I actually think that you're probably fine with either one, but. Uh, yeah, when she says, like, my husband will see more mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And it's like, oh, well, it's so interesting. Like, <laughs> why does this woman have the outlook she does? Look at look at the, like, what has happened mm-hmm. to her uh, symbolically and also how she frames that for herself. She is less of a person and she worries how that's going to affect her mm-hmm. in man's world. She tells them to steal the warrior from her Tolmechians just as they did from the Pajit, but Yuba de- resolves to keep it dormant just then, a kid reveals that some of the spores are survived and are spreading in the valley, and the villagers all rush to try and get tools to burn the spores from the castle uh, and are denied until our smarmster uh, orders their weapons, saves the guns, return to them so that they can take care of these growing spores. Yeah, so it's a good like story beat moment. Like, Why are they going to be able to fight back later? Because they get mm-hmm. all their weapons but guns because of the spore thing. But it's also the d- destruction yeah. and the poison. Where, and oh my goodness, and Kushana having the only view, like her only viewpoint is, oh, now that you have this weapon, you got to use it. And they're like, no, we could also not use the weapon. She's like, ah, it's too late for that. We got you involved in this. It's it's so interesting. And they she expresses that they took 
the warrior because they didn't want someone else Mm -hmm. to have it. And what a good... There's really two reasons they want the warrior, but that's a big one. What a good distillation of why countries go to war. Yeah. Like, is the other one a threat in a nebulous sense? But really, all it is is it's Mm -hmm. fear. They have a bigger stick. And even though they may never use it because they're afraid of it, don't we kind of have to preemptively strike? Like, well, we can all agree that's, you know, that's bad. It would be nice if no one ever went to war. But it's like, when you're in charge, are you going to take that risk? Mm-hmm. You're going to be the one who let your country, your culture fall because you didn't strike first? Did you have any choice? It's like so bleak and such a good distance. Because I think that a lot of times we imagine war the same way we imagine a lot of injustice, which is that there must be a good reason for it. <laughs> so we try to like paint these allegories and in you know in our media kind of give give poetic just horrible but mm-hmm. just reason it's like no there's no there's actually no good reason for it we go to war not because of you know resources and things like that we go to war because of fear because we're afraid the other person's going to pull out the stick first uh and it's so interesting they get to it later the other reason they go to war is that they want to use the giant to destroy the forest to destroy the, the toxic jungle. But that's what Pajit wants yeah. too. Everyone wants to use this guy to kill the thing they fear. And we know that's a bad idea. But it's like if they all got on the same page, then no problemo. Would have been, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a problem, right? They, they could have all used it to destroy the thing they fear. And of course, then the earth would have been doomed because it's purifying all this toxin. But they right. don't know that. But they can't imagine someone else holding the gun. Even though, just like in the forest, this perfect moment of, it doesn't matter who's leader, what's important is getting out. To them, it matters who's exactly. leader. To them, it matters who's who's got control of the giant weapon, even though they all want to use it for the same mm-hmm. thing. Yupa heads off to find Nausicaa, and the villagers rush to burn the spores, but they've infected just about every single tree in the forest. So Ubaba gives the order to burn the whole forest that they love so much. Um... And Yushana begin, or Kushana begins to free herself, uh, as they do, with a little heel knife, which is very fun. It's very funny because she just, she just demonstrated that she can get out of her handcuffs by removing the fake hand. And then she's like, all right, let me do this. Clicks her heels, knife out. It's like, just, just take off the handcuff and untie <laughs> your, the knot. <laughs> It's so much more. You just showed us you can do that. It's so much more dramatic. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, Gliding over the toxic forest, Nausicaa and Asbel notice that there's no insects in sight. They've all left the jungle for some reason and arrive at Pajit, where something strange is happening. As they approach the capital city, it's littered with these dead insect carcasses, and they arrive to find the ruins and fungal spores of a destroyed city. Everywhere they go, there's dead bugs and spores, and eventually, as they reach the castle, they look over to see a dead ohm just straight through the center. Um, Pajit is finished. Asbel laments that it was too much destruction to pay, even if the Tolmekians were out of their city. Um, just then, a Pajit airship lands, and they rush to meet it. A man steps out who assures Asbel that the city being destroyed is absolutely no biggie, because they can rebuild and burn off 
the jungle, just like they've always wanted. But Asbel's like, uh, dude, yeah. we don't have What's... the giant warrior anymore. <laughs> and they destroy yeah. their own city, right? Like, that's the implication here, because they use the insects as weapons. They destroy their own city to get the enemy out. It's like, it's such a short-sighted, mm-hmm. violent solution. Uh, where they're like, oh, we'll just rebuild it. Oh, yeah, sure, you'll just rebuild it. But as long as we got the other guy, right? As long as we can count it as right. a W. Everyone is, yeah. They know. So proud. <laughs> fear, fear and pride. pride. It's about fear and pride all the way down. Um, they know that the warrior is in the Valley of the Wind and they have plans to get it back. And Nausicaa overhears this and is like, hey, what are you going to do to my valley? Um, but they don't answer. And Asbel introduces her as the princess of the Valley of Wind who saved his life and tells her that their plan is likely baiting insects into the valley just like they did with their own city. Um, she is like, that is an amazingly monstrous thing to do, you absolute horrifying beasts. And she's like, they're like, well, it's okay. We're killing your people for the good of the planet. And it's too late anyway because the insects are already stampeding. So she tries to run to her glider to warn her people, but they immediately capture her. Uh, and she accuses them, again, of being just as bad as the Tolmecians. They, too, want to burn the jungle, but they justify themselves by not wanting to take over the world, just free it. But both of them are going to do the same evil things, no matter the justification. She then explains how the trees in the jungle are what purifies their well water, and if they burn the toxic jungle, those trees burn, too, but they disregard her warnings. Asbel then rushes the leader and steals his gun, trying to free Nausicaa so she can go warn her people, but he's quickly stopped and they're both captured. Valiant effort, bro. I like that he at least tried. It didn't make him do like a, well, it's my people, I gotta be sit silently by thing. Nope, he sits by, he's been inspired Mm -hmm. by her. She's inspiring. That's, you know, her superpower (laughs) is drawing people to her side. It's part of being right, (laughs) right? But uh, it's drawing people to her side. It's okay. He'll redeem it. He'll, he'll you know, he'll, he'll make exactly. it work. <laughs> Kushana scales the cliffs looking over the valley and seeing the villagers fighting off the Tolmecians. They're winning, too, uh, hijacking a tank despite some technical difficulty of figuring out how to drive it and destroying the bridge connecting the castle to the rest of the valley. Just then, Kushana reappears on the scene and the smart man immediately goes back to being an underling, which I think is so incredibly funny. <laughs> It's so funny. Yeah, like, he could really put up a stink, but he's like, like ah, oh, was a good back while it lasted, I guess. Uh, the villagers seek shelter by the lake in their little ship as the Tolmecians begin their tank assault, taking out the villagers' tank uh, and capturing the men inside. In the sky, the Tolmecian airship spots the Pajit ship that is also flying around with Nausicaa in it. Nausicaa, meanwhile, is in her cell on the ship when two women enter and tell her that they're going to get her out of there. Asbel has explained everything to them, and the one of the women, the older one, reveals that she is Asbel and Lestelle's mother and that she is here to help. And this is, a, and again, like another instance of a woman in this story. <laughs> yeah, here she, here we show up and we see all the, all the women behind mm-hmm. the scenes who are going to make an incredibly important decision. Uh, have not been included in the decision-making process until now and are going to make an important decision, one of them taking Nausicaa's place, which is ostensibly probably a safe thing because what's going to happen is that the guard is going to be like, yeah. you're not Nausicaa, but you are one of ours, so I'm not going to like mm-hmm. shoot you or anything. But it's still this brave this brave act, and then, yeah, sending her on yeah, their the, way. Uh, uh, sending her on her yeah, way, Nausicaa rather. and the younger girl swap clothes, which gets her in the red tunic that we'll see throughout the end of the movie until later. Um, and she and Asbel make for her glider through the ducts of the ship. And this is the shot that I laughed out loud at. It's like, it's an incredible choice, and it plays comedically even though it is very dramatic 
they open the like hangar door on the side of the plane to launch the glider and as they open it the Tolmechian ship is just framed by the doorway coming straight for them (laughs) it's like it's a blocking motion straight out of a comedy and it is meant to fill you with such dread and surprise (laughs) it's a little marxy but it's a real big Nausicaa is seeing something uh, moments. <laughs> it's yeah, this is yeah. coming up, but yeah, but uh, it, yeah. there's more story. Uh, they open the door to Mikey ship, and the Pajits head into storm clouds in order to jo- dodge this warship. Uh, but they're nearly torn apart by the raging storm, so they have to leave it and face the Tomekians head-on, and they are surprised when they exit the storm cloud that they are still there, even though the Tomekians had not gone into any sort of treacherous flying area. It was just them. Um... The Tomekians pin the Pajits against the clouds and board their ship. Nausicaa wants to stay and help the Pajits before the girl in the cell and the mother and Asbel, but he launches her into the sky on her glider and sends her gliding away as the Tomekian ship makes close pursuit. As she glides, she spots Mito in the gunship. He fires on and destroys the larger Tolmechian ship easily. Once again, what a, little gunships seem to be the move because they seem the only thing capable of surviving aerial combat. Little gunships pack big power. There's this is no interesting notion because they're like the big ship has to board right. There's big boarding action mm-hmm. where they're like uh, they have the superior numbers or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's just a little ship. It's like just put a gun on a on a biplane and it seems like you've got this. <laughs> you've got the advantage. Uh, Yupa and Mito tow Nausicaa and her glider. Uh, the Pajits are trying to hold their own against the Tomekians when suddenly a gunship from the Valley of Wind appears. What? Yupa jumps out of the gunship and onto the Pajit ship and uses his extreme sword skills to fend off the Tomekians and force them to surrender. So it's good. so good. Like, this little moment is so good because we've been told he's yeah. the greatest swordsman. It's come up. He did this little bit before where he blocked, where he, you know, in one motion took the blow from Nausicaa and uh, threatens this dude, stand down or I'll kill you moment. And we're like, okay, in a, in a Western movie, probably, and most other movies that I've ever seen, this would be the moment where he gets to show, like we've been talking it up, he's gonna get to show how awesome he is. And it's true, but it's such a short moment where he jumps down in, four men try to kill him, he kills them all in basically one blow, and then he goes over everyone and everyone pride mm-hmm. again, right? Where the guy's like, oh, look, what a chance of glory. <laughs> Anyone who kills him, you'll be like this new strongest guy. Exactly. And he just bypasses all. He's so wise and he's such a good fighter. He understands how not to fight. He just bypasses all of them, goes to the man in charge and says, yeah. surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Call everyone down. I'm going to kill you. And the guy's like, all right, I guess you win. <laughs> Got me there. Such a good, just like this. Um, it's all this action packed into like, 12 mm-hmm. seconds not even and it could have been this huge this huge beautiful and beautifully animated fight scene instead it's like this that's not in his character he's he's not the guy who's going to mm-hmm. uh that, that would be every other soldier in this right. movie would kill everyone he would not though that's not in his character uh nausicaa meanwhile is pushing the gunship to its limits to rush back to the valley and warn her people Meanwhile, the villagers and Kushana are in a standoff. Kushana and the smarmy man talk about the ship that they're, the villagers are hiding in, which is a relic from a, the thousand-year-ago war and is extremely durable. Uh, and Ku- yeah. yeah, they mentioned it went to space, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they say what, it saw the stars, I think, is, is mm-hmm. what the sub said or something like that. But yeah, it's like cool. Wait, <laughs> lore. Very cool. Love, it. Love that. 
I'm sure it's representative of something too, yeah. but it's just awesome. Uh, Kushana decides that they're going to wait for the princess to return in before they make any sort of assaults on the ship. Uh, and she talks to the villagers who were in the tank, trying to get them to surrender, but they love their princess too much for her kindness and how they coexist with the jungle through the limited use of fire and forest maintenance. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're hanging strong. Um, the noble uh, smarmy man Kuratoa <laughs> remarks that Kushana is looking kind of cute to him compared to before, which was just like a throwaway line that went really nowhere in the rest of the movie, thankfully. Oh, that's funny. I don't know if that appears Okay, because it was song. in the dub. He's like, uh, I don't remember oh, that she's line. Looking, I don't know what it is, but she's looking cuter recently. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Why is this in here? <laughs> she's lost all her armor. Uh, yeah, interesting. For her to have shed it as well, there's like Again, like I said, I'm sure there's so many things in life mm-hmm. in this movie. But yeah, it's an, it's an interesting moment for her to show up. And also to say I want to wait for yeah. Nausicaa. Because, like, what is... Does she respect Nausicaa? And she wants Nausicaa to be a part of this? Does she think it would avoid bloodshed? Like, what mm-hmm. is her reasoning for wanting Nausicaa back? Because she understands how important she is to these people. So is it is it as a bargaining chip? Is it as a power play? Like... I don't, you took the gun from me, right? Like that moment where I had the gun and you humiliated me. I don't want to go through with the execution of your people until you're here to be a part of it. Is it that? Is it like a begrudging respect? I have no idea, but it's an interesting character Yeah, choice. they have kind of a throwaway line to them both being princesses of sorts. So it does, like my interpretation was more, I think on like the weird respect side, not necessarily like in liking each other, but some sort of like understanding of the difficulties of leadership but i don't i think that it leaves it pretty open for interpretation um yeah it's not expl- and you know a, a lesser movie would would explain it to you instead they kind of they it's they realize it's not as important as like mm-hmm. theme and they're like we don't need to have yeah. this home let people think about it decide what they will uh the villagers who were captured in the tank are sent to the ship hideout but halfway there they stop noticing that the wind around them has also stopped obaba senses this too something is very wrong the wind is stopped and the air is saturated with anger um nausicaa is getting closer so she drops below the clouds and spots a horde of red-eyed ohm angry numerous and stampeding she then spots what's making them stampede uh, something in the distance calling to them uh, and Nausicaa has Mito send out a flare to illuminate it and spots a baby ohm speared and carried by the Pajits in like a little cup ship uh, which it's dangling out the bottom of. Yeah, they're flying yeah. in a big egg. Uh, and they're using it to lure the ohms into the valley. Nausicaa tells Mito not to shoot. They can't risk hurting or killing the baby Ohm if they want to stop the stampede. And she slides over to her glider, sending Mito ahead to warn the valley and goes on her own to free the Ohm. The Tolmechians watch her flare go off in the distance, likely from the princess's gunship, they surmise, and Kushana chooses the bloody path and advances on the villagers at long last. Um, It was inevitable. To her. To her it was. (laughs) It's, yeah. yeah. Just then, the gunship appears, and they fire on it, although it seems to have no effect on the invincible gunship, uh, until Kushana calls for them to stop as the gunship lands, and she and the villagers alike rush to the ship to ask after the princess. Mito tells them all about the stampeding Ohm, the, and the valley folk and Tolmechians alike make for high ground, as no matter what their grievances are, both of them will die if the Ohm stampede through here. There's just, like, no... 
way to avoid that unstoppable force of nature. Yeah, finally, finally, like, thought we're all in this together, starting to come through a little bit to them uh, when it's too late. The Tomekians are commanded to hold off the Ohm for as long as possible as Kushana is to off to awaken the warrior, the warrior for help. She's begged not to by the smarmy man, but if not now, when? And so heads off and he's like, ah, that Kushana. Which, good point. <laughs> good point. If you're all going to die, might as well pop uh, pop your big gun now. Uh, obviously, that's a terrible thing yeah. it, for lots of reasons. But from her point of view, like, uh, like uh, from Kurumoto's point of view, I'm like, why, yeah. why wait, man? He's like, well, it's not ready. Well, you're all going to die. So now never. might as well play yeah. the only cards you have. Um, Nausicaa dodges gunfire from the Pajits and glides towards them, arms outstretched. This is the aforementioned arms outstretched, falling into the gunfire, yes. taking shots to the foot and shoulder. Uh, and as she does, the younger pilot who's on the machine gun pauses and won't shoot at her because she looks for a moment just like Lestelle, the princess who died in the crash earlier. And this is an image that's sort of repeated from uh, when Asbel first sees her in one of the... Tolmechian ships when he shot them down. There was also sort of a flash of this, like, Lestelle standing, blocking something from firing or shooting or killing. Um, so very similar women, it seems, connected in some way. Yeah, it's a, it's a great moment where they, yeah, like, it kind of get the sense that maybe she was the Nausicaa yeah. to her people. And look what has become of them without their mm-hmm. Nausicaa. You know? And so this moment of, like, this ghost haunting it's so... Uh, it's it's very poignant to bring that back. You know, this this girl that Nausicaa helped is now saving her uh, ostensibly mm-hmm. in a way, you know? Uh, Repaying Nausicaa it. lands in their ship and it crashes to the ground. And though she is shot and hurt, she still tries to crawl forward to help the Ohm. She struggles to her feet, the baby Ohm's eyes flashing red and blue and red and blue, and she tries to calm it crying and asking for its forgiveness. It starts moving, but she tries to stop it, not wanting it to bleed to death or to go into the acid lake with wounds like it has. Uh, And in stopping it, her foot slides into the acid lake, making her experience great pain because it's a lake full of acid. (laughs) Yeah, she basically passes out from, yeah, the acid going into this gunshot wound on her ankle. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we're we're getting into the real Mm self-sacrificing sequence where a lot of bad a lot of physical harm is going to come to nausicaa in the next 15 minutes starting with being shot then pushed Mm -hmm. into the acid but just it's just the same thing as her meeting her fox squirrel and accepting the pain because she knows she can bear it and this other thing can't and as it does that you know revealing her character to that exactly um it senses her with its little tubers and then the ohm stops as nausicaa comforts it and they watch together as the adult ohms approach, but suddenly they turn away and head towards the valley instead of towards the island on the lake that they're at. The Tolmechians begin their fire on the stampeding ohm, which only draws their rage further, and so Nausicaa, desperate, uses the machine gun to threaten the Pajits to take her and the baby to the herd. Uh, though they are reluctant to fly into danger, they have no choice because she is leveraging big machine gun against them oh big machine gun yeah uh the tomekian soldiers who have been holding off the ohm as best they can start to flee under the overwhelming odds uh when kushana is spotted and behind her 
this red groaning goopy warrior now awake but in pieces and falling apart it was awoken too soon it's the most disgusting thing in this film yeah easy like easily it's the most horrifying thing in this film and it's yeah it's a weapon of war created by (laughs) people uh brought into the fight with little consideration for whether it was ready to be introduced and here we go, uh, folks. I just watched Oppenheimer <laughs> this weekend. weekend. So let's, and it's it was Barbenheimer weekend. We just watched Oppenheimer, uh, the both of us. And uh, you know, let's let's talk about <laughs> nuclear anxiety in Japanese media because yeah, mm-hmm. this man created uh, brought into the fight when it shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. It's not ready. Uh, there's very little care uh, taken to consider like what it means to bring uh, to awaken this thing. <laughs> Uh, it is literally destroying itself as it exists. Uh, and then uh, fires yeah. uh, twice. I don't know if that's uh, it's not on nothing. purpose or not, but cer- certainly is noteworthy, mm-hmm. I think. And when it fires, like visually too, the effect of where it fires is not like flamethrower-esque. It is very much like a massive, it's not quite mushroom clouded, but it is definitely a distinctly domed explosion shape reminiscent it's mushroom yeah. cloud coated <laughs> mushroom cloud coated uh so i don't think it would be out of line to say that this might be based in some nuclear anxieties yeah very fascinating here and i mean so the inspiration for this movie i found out was about a, a um the whole the whole notion of poisoning the world and then it healing itself and hurting people in the result in the process um it's based off a mercury hmm. spill i believe that happened in japan a mercury spill into a, a bay i believe if i remember correctly so that is the direct it's this is an allegory right. necessarily but that is the direct influence here but it's impossible not to consider the nuclear radiation fallout ramifications this, this movie works just the same way whether it's toxin or radiation that's being purified i think so i i think that there's definitely yeah. influence there um it looks like kushana's demands that the warriors incinerate the ohm is effective to a point as it fires in a line and causes a massive explosion and there's cheers in the Tolmechians, but despite the two fires, the ohms continue to surge through and after the second shot, the warrior collapses, melting and dying in the sands. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's so, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's interesting because you get the notion that it is extremely mm-hmm. destructive. It can right. kill the ohms, right? It's the only thing we've seen kill an ohm, if, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. Uh, they, they get the young one, I guess, so the, the small one dies, and then there's this one that's been, like, you know, staked through mm-hmm. to cause it to be in pain and, and, and carried. But in terms of hurting <laughs> a big one, even the flares didn't do that. They just kind of stun it. So it's the only thing that causes harm to them, and it's fascinating. It's like, this thing is incredibly destructive, but even your man-made weapons that can cause great harm to the world can't possibly no. kill the whole thing can't possibly kill all of it and i think that's an interesting mm-hmm. message as well that it's like even if it fired a thousand times because it had gotten all of them it would get a lot of them but, but could it have gotten all of them i don't think so maybe not so it's kind of it's kind of this notion of like the the earth like being more powerful and just just having more weight yeah. behind it right it, it basically it has the numbers <laughs> against whatever and humanity Obama, can throw at it. everyone to recount little details uh, says to the kids who are around her looking for comfort, the moral of that exact sentiment. Um, since the ohm reflect the anger of the earth, they can't count on a monster like the warrior for survival. 
which I'm sure the kids found great comfort in in these ostensibly their last moments on Earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. So if that that's what they say in the dub in the in the sub, it literally says like, if it if this is what we need, if this much destruction is what we need to survive, maybe we don't deserve yeah. to survive. And I already talked about all that, but mm-hmm. just what a great agree with it or disagree with it that's fine i don't necessarily uh you know i don't want to inform morality but if you've ever considered that the i'm glad that this movie is existing to make people consider that when it would be very easy to just be like yeah humans deserve a shot aren't we the bees knees just then as this seems like the most dire hour nausicaa and the baby ohm are flown in She's placed down with the baby in front of the stampeding herd, and she just stands calmly as the baby calls to these big ohms, and the herd just stampedes right on over her, sending Nausicaa flying sky high, and then descending back a little slower than you might expect, but still definitely falling into the herd. The ohms crash into the side of the ship as the villagers are taking shelter on, sending debris crumbling down, uh, and as the morning sun rises, the... Pajits and Yubaba, or not Yubaba, uh, Yuba, I'm thinking of a different Ghibli movie. <laughs> movie I was going to say, the Baba, and it, someone who knows language come come tell me because we've got two elder women in two different Miyazaki movies that have Baba in their name. One of them is a witch. The other is not explicitly magical, but it's very She's like, old and wise. <laughs> She's witch-coded. And I wonder if there's just, is there just no connection? Or is this like, a connection between Baba Yaga. I think it might be like, d- d- that adjacent. Is, is is that like a loan word from? Because Baba Yaga, I think is is that an yeah, Eastern European? Yeah, I, I want to say like mm-hmm. myth. I think I, I you know, revealing my you know <laughs> my my shortcomings here, but uh, I, I I just find that interesting. I'm sure there must be some <laughs> connection, uh, or it's the craziest coincidence. But yeah, yeah. Someone can email tell me. us. Uh, but the Pajits and uh, Yuba fly over, seeing only the red eyes of the Ohm when suddenly they all start to turn to blue. It looks like if you're flying over a city in a plane and you could see the lights, imagine they were all red and they started fading to blue. It's a very uh, cool image. Um, it's awesome. I mean, if it, it hasn't been said, but, you know, every frame of painting. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. For uh, this the movie. Ohm's rage fading. The villagers and Tolmechians take stock. The Ohm are still standing about there, but they're no longer enraged, all facing the baby and Nausicaa lying on the ground. It looks as though the princess is dead, having given her life to quiet the rage of the Ohm. Uh, And the Ohm begin to lift Nausicaa with their tendrils and raise her above them all. More Ohm joining in and lights begin to fall from the sky, these little like golden particles and whatnot. The child singing kicks back in, and Nausicaa's wounds begin to glow and heal, and she opens her eyes. She's alive. The Ohm have healed her. Tito is also there. <laughs> also, there's a fox squirrel. We did skip over it before, but there's a part where the plane is crashing, and she's like, quick, fox squirrel, be somewhere safe. And then she spends what is this, uh, what I have to assume is the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes of screen time with a fox squirrel just crammed into her cleavage. <laughs> Yeah, he's not doing, like, the whole hide-in-the-hair thing, necessarily. She's got, like, a pixie cut going on. So <laughs> no. <gosh. laughs> yeah, she's like, quick, hide. And then you're like, we don't see that squirrel again for a while, so... Uh, the Ohm's tendrils almost look like golden wheat or grain or grass uh, from her dreams, and she walks across it to the amazement of all watching. The kids describe the princess in her blue dress walking through a golden field to Obaba, who I guess has been blind this whole time. Uh, and she realizes that... <laughs> 
She she mentions that early on. She's like, I'm blind. Catch it. Um. Speaking of not catching things, uh, this yeah. the the blue dress thing because it's very. We talked about. We, did we talk about we this on it before? Bit. But um, with the like, it's interesting that she has a blue dress and that the blue dress is important. Uh, because she goes into a red dress and then her dress by gets dyed blue the by the blood of the ohm. That is very symbolic, right? She's been transformed into the little image of the martyr by the blood of the creature that she is sacrificing uh-huh. herself to save. Uh, but it's interesting then that you start her in blue and then move her to red for yeah. only a short time. Where it's like, couldn't, like, I, I feel like my one nitpick here is like, I like that, but could she not then have been in a different color Yellow, for the whole maybe. movie and then she turns in, she turns blue? Or. She gets blue, like, you don't have to do the blue blood. Like, she's in pink, and then she gets the blue dress from the other girl. It's like, oh, what a coincidence to set this up. I really like the blue blood thing. That's obviously a good, like, that's cool. But no. I didn't catch it. I actually had to ask about that. I was like, wait, when did her, is this an animation I, Until you mentioned it earlier mistake? in this podcast, like, did it become I fully blue? did not understand how her dress became blue. <laughs> yeah, so so it feels like this is, you know, me coming at one shortcoming where I'm like, it feels like this could have been more clearly mm-hmm. explained or the mechanics of it could have been executed yeah. a little bit differently that being said it's obviously yeah. very Obama, and this it's this about this, yeah, it's this, symbolism this moment that obama realizes that nausicaa is a legendary hero that they mentioned uh yuga was looking for earlier it's like whoa it's crazy look at uh, nausicaa's glider gets to gliding the wind is back the people all rush and cheer and hug nausicaa the ohm leave peacefully and the movie ends <laughs> it does and you know what we're all we're we've got one minute for one minute which is pretty good for us in terms of doing <laughs> this one is pretty piece. efficient for this podcast uh, in terms of talking not the about most it. efficient we've ever been it but is very efficient it's pretty efficient especially for i feel like all the times i've been on it's been like a two to one like i want to talk about this for t- one minute for mm-hmm. two minutes you know kind of thing but the thing about this movie is that it's just good and you don't have to think about it that hard for yeah. it to really work. And then the, the harder you think, the better it seems I think it to does a really general, impressive but... job of imparting its, like, moral message without you having to really think at all. And if you do choose to think deeper, you get more of the nuances of, like, that message of, you know, you can't, no matter how much humanity wants to, it's never going to be strong enough to defeat nature. You have to learn to coexist and see the whole picture. Um, and mm-hmm. so... You know, that's like base level. And the more you look at it, you start to get more of the anti-war messaging. You start to get more of the nuances of all of that. Uh, And I think that's a really impressive way to construct a film and then also to successfully pull off having tried to do that construction of a film. Because it's very easy to say, like, a filmmaker had a lot to say is not always a compliment. Ambition, (laughs) yeah. here it works. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we just talked about this a little bit with with Barbie, where it's like extremely yeah. good movie. By the way, I don't want to I don't want to say that this movie was bad or anything, but it's like, oh oh boy, is there yeah. a lot to say in that movie? Um, but this movie, yeah, it definitely feels like it's a lot. And wait, to circle back and talk about the Dune <laughs> thing, I do love that this movie. It does feel like Dune is great because it has like it's a sci-fi book that has like six sci-fi premises premises that you could just you could make any one of those a book. But it's like, no, 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 we're going to have all of them. They're going to be very tightly connected. And, and just a book about spice and that you need to control that would be would be enough. But then they also have, you know, uh, a secret cult of like women planting religious iconography on planets over the course of thousands of years. So that if one of them is ever there and stranded, they can call forth. The... Anyway, crazy stuff. This movie feels the same way in terms of of uh, theme mm-hmm. and meditation on different 
fundamental aspects of being human, our relationship to nature and to war. In that same way, it feels like it has smartly, densely layered many topics. And so, yeah, you could watch it once and love it and get the theme because they come right out and say it, which, again, I love. I don't think a movie necessarily has to beat around the bush. There are great movies that beat around the bush. You get to think about them really hard. But I like when a movie just you know, comes out and says it. But also, there are so many things that are layered in there. And again, this the first viewing for me was definitely like... The, the fantasy and adventure stuff, the environmental stuff, all those things really spoke to me. This time, it was like the war mm-hmm. stuff. It was like, for the first time, I was thinking about power politics and why people make the decisions they do. And it's almost entirely based off just fear and pride in this movie. And like the the, the, the moments that they feel like they need to be holding the gun. I thought that was uh, really, really awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of started jumping into it, but uh, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on this film? It, would you recommend our listeners watch this movie? And if so, in what situation should they watch it? The last Please couple times I've asked that it, question, it's been a definitive yes. And I've known that before I had to ask it, but it is built into the structure of the show. So I am going to insist. <laughs> of course. Well, you know, I'm glad you guys are be getting some good oh. movies because certainly there are some Morbiuses out there. Uh, and again, maybe next time I'll pick another uh complicated let's call it a complicated movie. Uh, should I get to come back for another one? But it was nice to do one that just kind of is complicated in its execution, but it's not complicated in mm-hmm. my adoration for it, you know? So closing thoughts, I love everything that's in this movie. It's kind of, like I said, genetically made in a lab to make me happy. I just bought an RPG that was like, this is Nausicaa the RPG. And I was like, I don't care how much fun <laughs> you gotta take. Uh, so a Cloud mm. Empress, I think, if you wanna, or Cloud Empire or something like that. It's It just finished its Kickstarter. So anyway, if that interests you, give it a Google. I'm sure you can find it. But uh, to, to just do one closing, uh, one closing thought, um, there's a, a song from, uh, there's a, a quote from a Decemberist song that I'm now forgetting the name of that goes, you mu- we must bear our neighbor's burdens within reason. And I really, really love that quote. I listen to that song all the time because I'm like, I just gotta like get that one. You, you ever listen to a song and you're like, I just want to hear this <laughs> one line, but it doesn't work unless yeah. I hear the whole buildup. I love that. And that's, I feel that, that very much in this movie with Nausicaa where it's, she is very strong and so must bear more but the whole notion is everyone here needs to accept you know needs to take in the fear take it you know it becomes pain accept it if you can bear it and that will heal the world you know yeah i I, exactly i mean this movie is great Is, is it my favorite miyazaki movie probably not but it does not make it any lower quality it's just that i really like like kiki's delivery service it's 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 kind of a i was gonna say it's kind of a crazy bar it's you know it's it's kind of unreasonable to be like Mm -hmm. what's your favorite but if you haven't seen it if it's one of the ones you've missed you know it's not necessarily one that gets tossed around if you're like naming you're like what are the first three movies that come to mind it's not Howl's moving castle it's not uh spirited away but it is still an excellent entry uh it's a really fantastically made film visually beautiful the messaging is very poignant um and subbed or dubbed really seems to work so i do yeah i think i think you can't yeah. go wrong either it's, way wor- it's worth the watch it's maybe not a movie night with friends kind of movie but it is definitely like not going to um emotionally devastate you to the point of ruining your night so it's <laughs> i was gonna say it's it's certainly not like a party movie you want to talk over but yeah, yeah. it's you're you, you don't need to like no. mentally prepare yourself for watching this and we're movie, putting it I on a scale like. of like morbius to magnolia it's falling in the middle you know it's Maybe leaning yeah, Magnolia, so but definitely um, really 
watch it enjoy Beautiful it film. Uh, austin thank you so much for coming on the podcast again even if you did not bring us any mary thank elizabeth winstead it was me. still a fantastic time if folks do want to hear more from you where can they find you uh well of course you and i <laughs> both are on our DD podcast rolling with difficulty uh actual play your your love of listening to an actual play may vary obviously it's uh it's they're like four hour episodes which i'm hugely uh thankful and impressed to anyone who listens to that whole thing because it's a lot to play it but then to go and listen to it uh so you can catch us you can catch i'm yeah well boy am i not i have to prepare prepare it which is a lot of work and i'm not envious of the notion of having to edit but you can go catch us there if you like that stuff we also have one shots if you want to go check Mm -hmm. out just like a little bit uh but you can also find me if you want something that's much more bite-sized find me at twitter uh i'm at as long as tw- honestly that this might be a stupid plug twitter may be dead by this time this twitter episode comes out but as long as it's still float the site twitter twitter or x it's whatever it's called in my brain you can't make me say something as stupid as the new <laughs> it's x is so bad like i thought max was bad oh, when they went from God. hbo max to max but it's like they even dropped two letters off of that it's just x now at least max is three letters still uh but yeah find me on twitter i'm uh at at the funk so at at the funk which i thought was a clever it's my initials i thought that was clever when i made it and it is but uh i now realize it's really difficult yeah, it to is. explain to people but yeah i you know I talk, I'll, sometimes i tweet funny things about movies i'm watching particularly if there's a really good visual yeah. gag anyway or dean oh himself. that'll be anyway find me there thank the you for having below. me check out austin check out rolling with difficulty uh thank you again for joining us I'm off to go explore the toxic wasteland that is uh, all around us at all times. Maybe I'll find bugs or something. I don't know. We'll catch you next episode. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Adios. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on August 14th with another thrilling installment, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com and check out the Moviestruck Discord server for conversations with other fans of the podcast and films in general. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive content like monthly patron-selected film reviews. I've also included in the show notes a link to the Entertainment Community Fund, which is a way to support the actors and writers currently on strike. Uh, If you are able to and willing to, I highly recommend donating to this worthy cause. We all love movies, and I hope that you will all help me in supporting the people who make them. I'd also like to take an opportunity to thank all of the patrons who joined us last month in July. It's because of you guys and all the other amazing folks over on Patreon that this podcast is able to keep the lights on and keep frequent guest Ziggy in the good cat food. So thank you to... Canis, Jim8333, Taylor Wagner, and Connor Crozier. Thank you guys and thank you to everyone on Patreon. Uh, I hope that you continue to enjoy the show.